Hello, and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast, special report, Decades with Dave Anderson. A couple of months ago, Dave and I were drinking and pontificating while recording, and Dave challenged me on a thought process. I am an unashamed and huge fan of 1980s cinema, and I think the decade itself is maligned with some unfair characterizations. So I put it to Dave that if you took a year, any year of the 1980s, and matched it with the same year in any other decade, you'd have to pick that year hands down. The year I chose was 1984, and so that meant that we had to compare those films with films from 1924, 1934, and so on. I knew that I was asking for trouble because 1984 is outside the 50-year stint from 1922 to 1962 that is generally associated with the golden age of Hollywood. The 60s is when the threat of television finally broke through and the great white flight into the suburbs permanently damaged theater exhibition. But as Dave pointed out, the greater threat was the auteur movement in 1974 and the indie movement in 1994. Before we get into this, we discuss the career of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, the director and screenwriter of such hits as The 49th Parallel, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Black Narcissus, and The Red Shoes. It's not going to be as loud, I hope. No. It won't be as loud. So I had some follow-up questions about Powell and Pressburger. Because, honestly, like, I had never heard of them until I met you. Okay, and I'm, I'll admit I'm not an expert. So, if any of my answers are below par, it's the beer It'll be because of that. Uh, well, yeah, I just I just read three books on Powell and Pressburger. So. Okay, before you start, though, have you tried the beer yet? No. Okay, so, we are having Fluffy Nuts right now, which is a saloon door here in Webster, Texas. And I'll be interested to know what reaction is. Because this wow. is a peanut butter marshmallow that is... imperial cream ale, and it's pretty interesting, isn't it? You, you can taste everything you, you just said. You absolutely can. Oh my lord! Yeah, and it's a ten percent. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, you can feel it. Holy shit! I got the last six pack that was in my HEB. My beer guy over there is tremendous. Uh, I was having the uh, the Wonka. Okay, yeah, it, which is Carbock. a fine I, beer. I like that. It's yeah. a fine beer. But this, because of the cream, yeah. the cream might make this. It's it's definitely different. Now, if it was, you know, 50 degrees outside, <laughs> you'd rather have the stout. <laughs> That's right. For sure. But this is a really interesting yeah. if beer. If you were living north of the 49th parallel. Mm. Yes, you would make fun of us for drinking our goofy-ass fluffy nuts. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Powell and Pressburger was was not someone I really knew or, or got into, and I was I was unaware. I knew that they were active during the '40s and '50s, but I was unaware that their like their last film was like 1970 something. Well, I know that you know the one that I think of as the end of their era is Peeping Tom, right? Which is I I don't believe Pressburger is involved in that one at all. I think it's strictly Michael Powell, and that kind of, for all intents and purposes, ruined his career. Oh, why? Because um, it is not a polite film. Oh. It's kind of the... Um, In what way? It's it's sort of the first slasher film, or oh. one of the first... Like a horror slasher? Yeah, I mean, but it's, um, it's, you know, especially for the time, and especially 
for what you can imagine the Brits, it's I think it's considered something of a depraved film, especially Ooh. at the time. Let's because so it's about press, a photo- go ahead. It's about a photographer who murders his subjects, but it's it's very shit. You know, it's very sexualized and you know for the time, especially very violent because there's it's a modified tripod. It's got a spike, and it's one of those where apparently it was quite controversial at the time and essentially ruined his career. Really? Yeah, Michael Powell's. Career. Michael Powell's, and it's one of those where. You know their their window of greatness is pretty small. I mean, relative to what we're used to, yeah, I it's guess like for thirty years. Yeah, is it that long? I don't really think of it. Well, if I, you think their first film that they collaborated together was the Spy when, in Black, but what's, the, what's the, I think Forty Ninth Parallel is it's the first Powell and Pressburger but it, film, but not the first Archer's film. No, but it's like their first. Was that forty one? Forty one. Forty one. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when's Peeping Tom? I think that's. Late sixties, I think. Well, Hang I saw on. something that was like seventy. Oh, that's probably. If you saw it, it's probably more accurate then. But only I mean, because I went on the the sacred. Sure, IMDb. which yeah, you definitely know more than I do in regards to that timing. I don't know about that. No, you definitely would. For, you, you you read the books. I didn't finish them. Yeah, you, <laughs> didn't, get, you didn't get to the beeping tom part. I just read up to nineteen forty-five. <laughs> Here's Pressburger. Because I think what their last film together was, you know, it's 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 a BBC educational film essentially. Canterbury Tale, nineteen. I mean, I think of like basically the forties as this remarkable peak. Yes. You know, and after that, it's just I mean, because yeah, you've got Forty Nine Parallel, forty one. You've got Colonel Blimp in forty three. Canterbury Tale in forty four. I know where I'm going. Forty five. You know, Life and Death in 46, Narcissus in 47, Red Shoes in 48, and then Tales of Hoffman in 51, right? And kind of after, that's kind of in my mind, which is obviously going to be slanted, you know, the end. I've not seen O Rosalinda. I've not seen Tales of Hoffman for that matter. And I actually haven't seen Black Narcissus either. So I don't, I'm, 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 I'm far from an expert. I'm barely even a novice. But, you know, I think that their their best stuff is probably, from a British filmmaking perspective, up there with Hitchcock's. Yeah. You know? It's, there's not as many, but the ones that are there are fucking good. They were extremely popular, and unlike Hitchcock, I would say that Powell and Pressburger were were seen in a in a very strange uh, nationalistic Yeah, they're definitely light, British. Right, like they're British, but of course... Pressburger was not British, but, but that didn't matter. Right. Okay. Colin Pressburger on Wikipedia. Sorry for all those people who are critical of Wikipedia. It's still it's still a handy resource. Spy in Black, 1939. Contraband, I don't, I don't think it's in, which it's I not, haven't seen yet. It's not in their filmography on because yeah. it's not. The Boy Who Turned Yellow is the last Powell and Pressburger film in '72, which 72. is a. It's a film made for the Children's Film Foundation. It's a 59-minute, 55-minute. I think it's basically a, B, a television show. Okay. So you're saying with Peeping Tom? Yeah, Peeping Tom. You're probably right. It probably is early 70s. 1960 film. Oh. British psychological it's horror thriller film. It's from 1960. Written by Leo Marx. 
revolves around a serial killer who murders women while using a portable film camera to record their dying expressions of terror. Holy shit. Yeah. So it's the same year as Psycho. Yeah, but for whatever reason, and probably going towards what you were saying, is that it's a, they're very British. Yes. Right? And it's, a, it's strictly a Michael Powell affair. But Hitchcock, you know, left the U.K., and essentially became an American filmmaker, right? Yeah. So I've not seen Peeping Tom. I've not had an opportunity. No, I mean, Hitchcock is very, he's Americanized after the war. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah he, he just is. Yeah. And I, I mean, but independent of one thing or another. Well, people he, refer to it as his British period and his Hollywood right. period. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those where, I guess, the Archers never got an American period. Right. Which is probably by their choice. It probably is, although I'd be interested in seeing what they would do. Yeah, if you give them huge budgets. and But they had a lot of freedom. They right? did. Well, if you that's the golden rule everywhere. If you have a lot of success, you have a lot of freedom. Um, so anyway, like I, I didn't... The only one I'd seen up, up until the 49th parallel was um, Black Narcissus, mm-hmm. which I just I really find striking. Which... Ironically, is just one of those that I've had for forever, and have literally just never watched, which the, is a terrible thing. The only two things I was just talking to uh, Luke about it um, this morning. The only two things that stand out about Black Narcissus in a negative mm-hmm. is that there's a there's kind of like a there's a macho man in it, right? And yeah, I believe you. And then in the beginning, he's like riding a donkey up the Himalayas. Now, I mean that's in the British mindset and their scope and their framework or headspace or whatever you want to call it, that's perfectly acceptable. <clears throat> At no point in no American film would you ever have an American macho man riding a donkey. Not that I can think of. John me. Wayne does not ride a fucking donkey. Not that I can think of. Right. So that just in in our headspace that when you see it, it that stands out and that's like that's strange. Like what? What's going on? Right. You you certainly don't associate that with your manly protagonist. Right. So the other thing is, because it takes place in a convent, mm-hmm. and Deborah Kerr is in it. Yes. And she, she's amazing. Um, it's, a, it's a nunnery. A lot of nuns. And sometimes it's who's speaking. Because mm-hmm. none of their hair is showing. Right. So it's you don't exactly know... They're almost anonymous. Right. By design. Unless it's Deborah Kerr. And then you know, okay, that's Deborah Kerr. That's Mother Superior. Who, who's this other? There's too much going on. It's not like, I don't know if you've seen a nun story, Boris. No, I have not. Um, that's got Audrey Hepburn in it as a nun. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows who the fuck Audrey Hepburn is. Yeah, she's like, pretty identifiable. Problem. So. Um, but go on. That's okay. That's okay. That, so you, you weren't real familiar with him, but I mean, it's right. one of those where, I mean, we've known each other for what, 25 years? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So, I mean, I just kind of stumbled across him as opposed to being a teenager but, really knowing him. Well, right, yeah, and that makes sense. Um, and really, the person who has popularized PNP the most since Scorsese. the 90s is Scorsese. Yeah. He has, and now, in the only, no, I shouldn't say the only reason. But it's very common knowledge that his his editor, uh, Thelma Schumacher, right. uh, married Michael Powell. I think it was his third wife. 
third or fourth. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and uh, he was more. Exp- he knew Michael Powell mm-hmm. for probably the decade before uh, Powell passed away. So there's a there's a direct imprint, and he's been their their champion. And when it comes to uh, specifically when it comes to Colonel Blimp, mm-hmm. Scorsese was the one who yeah he drove the restoration drove the right right and and it's a good thing that he did. Now I'd like to jump into we've already spent two hours on the 49th parallel. Yeah, so I, our conversation on there is right. It's probably done, spent. Right. Colonel Blimp, like I know I saw your letterboxed review. Huh? I'm actually surprised because yeah, you were not that enamored Man, with it. I and that. That just seems to like it would be my type of movie. Right. That's why it was kind of surprising. And I really, I had to exercise a lot of patience with that. And, right. and it really, I was thinking about it this morning before he came over, like, why do I describe that to the audience? And I was, I was thinking, well, you know, 1943, mm-hmm. it looked like Citizen Blimp to me. Okay. It looked like, um, we're going. We're going through this man's life. I, mean, I understand what Powell and Pressburger were trying to do. I completely get that. Right. It, it, it but just, what part of the execution just didn't work for you? Well, th- there was a lot of things going on that I wasn't that, was, that I wasn't hip to. But it was mixed with a lot of things that I like, like Deborah Kerr in the in the three recurring roles. I thought that was brilliant. Right. I yeah. Thought it was really I thought well. it was really yeah. well done. Uh, I thought all the the, the acting was was kind of uniformly okay. top notch. Real okay. So I thought it was. Uniformly excellent. Yeah. I really do. Now, mind you, that there's a now. Granted, it's it's from that time. Right. That's. Right? I'm not yeah, looking at right. like the 70s. It's not Pacino. Although right. I would love to yeah, see there's him. There's no method. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Um, but the the fight that they pulled away from, they made a big deal of the fight. Then they yeah. pan out of the fight. And Scorsese talked about how in his introduction, like, hey, geez, how genius and brilliant that was that they didn't show the fight. I, that seemed really out of place and odd for me. Um. Just because, well, they were placing so much emphasis on it, right? And then they didn't show it. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the fight—that was—I understand but, that that was the point. Well, no, I always think of it as the fight wasn't that important, right? It was the things that they showed that were important. It was the build-up to why did this happen, and the repercussions, right? The fight itself is it would certainly be interesting, right? But I don't see them pulling out the choreography to make it fascinating. You, know, it certainly wouldn't be, you know, duel of the fates. Right. It, it would have been just, I, I imagine, actually, frankly, kind of an unexciting fight. But the periods that frame it are the important things, and that's what they focused on. Now, I'd read somewhere where you know it pulls away, and you have the snow fall, and it's kind of a allegory for how it's the end of those particular times where there's a certain degree of honor, or honor rather, right? And that makes sense, but that's not what I thought, right? I didn't sit there and say, oh, snowfall, twilight of a honorable war. No, it's not what I right. thought, but it was one of those where, you know, this is not a movie of action. This no, is a movie no, of it's drama. It's, yeah. it's, but it's a movie of feelings. Yes. Right, and relationships. And I thought that, you know... It was funny because before the fight, there's literally no relationship. You know, this is a duel between two people that have no idea who each other are. And at the end of the recovery, you know, they're best of friends, which is really, I mean, that's kind of a stretch, but not being alive in the 1940s, I can't speak to it's any degree of authenticity right but it was definitely one of those where well there were there were plenty of if you've seen remains of the day 
Well, I'm not talking about you know the authenticity of a German and okay, Englishman, okay, okay. but just the way that I'm a lifelong friend after knowing you for three weeks, right, 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 right. and I'm willing to give up this because of my honor. But I did find the whole thing pretty interesting, okay, and actually pretty compelling myself. Okay, I mean, I really do enjoy it. I mean, it's I can see what you're saying, whereas it's. I wasn't along for the ride. Right. And, and looking back on it, it seems like it was something that was made for me. And I understand why Churchill wouldn't like it. You're talking about, I mean, oh, Churchill yeah. fought in the Sudan. Churchill fought in the Boer War. He, he got out of the Boer War with, uh, uh, by the skin of his teeth. Like, he was mm-hmm. actually captured during the Boer War, and he was in a, he was in a, a prisoner of war camp, and he mm-hmm. escaped. And, and uh, then, of course, he, uh, he was in the government in, in the liberal government that ran uh, the great war. And then he fell out of favor because of Gallipoli. And he went back into the trenches as an officer and fought in the trenches right? and went over the top several times. And, and then the, uh, when his, um, his, uh, I don't know if you could call it a tour, but whenever that action was over, he went back into the we'll government and you know, he was just a very, very involved person who believed in the empire and fought in the empire. And I saw blimp as sort of like a, a stand-in for Churchill, which I can understand why Churchill wouldn't particularly like the, the idea of being associated with Blimp, who was a who was a, a, a caricature, a comic caricature that was popular during the time. And Blimp isn't even his name. His name is no, Colonel, Colonel Candy. Right. But Blimp was, was something that everybody at the time was familiar with. I don't – I mean, I never considered the general to be a stand-in for Churchill at all. Okay. And I don't know, I mean, I have not read as much as you, so I certainly don't know precisely what Churchill would have been upset about, or at least connecting that character to a reflection of him, right? I kind of looked at him more as almost a, oh, a reflection of traditional British governmental values, which Churchill, in my mind, was never that. I mean, I consider him much more modern, right, as opposed to Chamberlain. Right, which is kind of what I viewed him as. It's kind of a a person who would have terrible things happen because he just literally couldn't believe that the opposition would act in a certain way, right? And just would not accept that as a authentic mechanism, right? I mean, his whole line at the end of the, the Boer War, where he says, you know, this just, or I'm sorry, World War One, where he says that, you know, it just shows that right is might. Right, which is an interesting turn on you know, your old cliche of might being right. But he's under this belief that because they fought honorably, that's why they won. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, his all-time best buddy says, no, y'all didn't win. We lost. Right. You know, I I, get, I really just enjoyed it. I mean, it's I find it very easy to be able to fall in movies of that period and not view them through a very modern eye. Just a very, I'm watching this movie now. And experiencing it now and just getting something out of it. So, I don't know. I've always enjoyed that movie. It's been a long time since, since, since I watched it. When did you it. first see it? <clears throat> I think I watched it early 20s. Yeah, that's probably the only time I'd seen it. So, it wasn't the same cut? No. At least, I mean, my memory of it is so foggy. It's right. one of those that I can't tell much about it beyond, well, I liked it then. Hmm. It may have been one of those that my grandparents had a VHS copy of, and that's obviously, or unsurprisingly, one of the things that really 
shaped some of my perspective. My dad and my grandparents both, they didn't dismiss modern movies. Although they didn't like The Road Warrior at all. They hated that movie. <laughs> but, you know, we had, they had a whole videotape collection where we'd sit there and watch every summer. And there were a lot of them were, you know, 1960s, 50s, and 40s movies. Sure. So, it's just when I was a kid, I would watch that oftentimes as, okay, this is just an old movie. And it's like, hey, I like that. So, I, I didn't look at as a, oh, this is an old movie. Just like, huh, it's an older movie. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have the same... I didn't have that prejudice either. Right. <clears throat> My grandfather worshipped John Wayne movies. No, <laughs> John Wayne movies are fucking awesome. Yeah, and just, I don't know how many times I've seen them all. Now, I just thought that at the time, because of VHS and because of the format of VHS mm -hmm. and, and how VHS just murdered movies, yeah. I didn't see any of them in any type of positive light. I've seen, and I didn't keep any type of uh, memory attention on, you know, there were 20 of them. They mm -hmm. all looked alike. Right. They were all the same goddamn thing. It wasn't until really last year Luke got into Westerns mm -hmm. and we watched um, Red River. But that's I mean, really good, isn't it? Exceptional. It's really good. Exceptional. And, of course, we watched Shane. And and um, I knew that Stagecoach, I saw Stagecoach in college, so mm -hmm. I knew that that was like, for lack of a better term, to use something that's kind of stupid, high art. Yeah. Even for John Ford, but high art for, for the proletariat, mm -hmm. you know, it's for the working class. Yeah. Um, as Church Hitchcock would say for the masses, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's popular. I mean, West famous. Westerns are for the masses, but there's no reason why it can't be high art for the masses. No, absolutely. Right. Um, the red shoes <clears throat> finally got to see it, which full disclosure it's been about the same amount of time since I've seen that. Okay. Um, so and, my memory at best is foggy. Yeah. I mean, it looked like, a. I just remember the colors, right? The colors are pretty striking and I get it. Like she's choosing between, you know, two men mm -hmm. and her career and her, you know, happy personal life or whatever. And I, I would imagine like in, in the post war period, that's a conversation that every couple is having. I would imagine so. You yeah. know, um, there were plenty of watch any documentary about the war on netflix world war ii in hd or um world war ii in color they're all great but they were they all have similar themes of you know i was wounded i came home my wife quit her job and come and took care of me and then then i went to work and she stayed home and that that's just how everything was my grandmother did it yeah everyone's grandmother did it um it and it, it seemed like a, it seemed like there was a heavy influence on Fincher actually. Like when you're watching Benjamin Button, it seems like the Red Shoes was like a subplot of, of the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, mm -hmm. with Kate Blanchett being a ballet. Like right. I don't, I don't think that it'd be impossible to, for me to think that Fincher hadn't seen the Red Shoes before oh, doing. You know, he did. Yeah, I mean, he just did. Yeah, or if he didn't, he. It's very strange. Yeah, it's like it's so those. bizarre. It's really hard to imagine. Right. So now I, you didn't find the red shoes very satisfying no, at all either. I really, like the first hour, I was it was hard getting into it. Like particularly for me, they were setting up the fact that there was this musician who uh, whose work was um, blatantly stolen by another composer, and then used in a play, and he just took the hit. 
they told him like, "Hey, don't say anything because your career is going to suffer if you say anything." And I just thought, "But fuck that!" I mean, would I don't I don't see any type of American film coming out of Hollywood saying someone stole your shit. That's how the world is. Live with it. Nothing mm-hmm. in Hollywood would ever be like that. Yeah, that does seem unlikely, but it's yeah. I mean, you're right. You know, Based on our experience, that is certainly right. not something that would be endorsed. You know, it's just put your individualism under the carpet and let somebody else walk all over you. That's what it seemed like to me. So I wasn't on for that ride, mm-hmm. even though I found like, again, like Deborah Kerr was amazing. The color was amazing. And and it was the same. It's kind of like White Swan, uh, where Vincent Cassell played the the ballet director. Mm-hmm. He was such an ass. Right. And I, I saw the same thing in the red. She's like, that guy's an ass. Like, he's not groping her. Like, Vincent Cassell was, like, groping Natalie Portman right. to a disgusting just... degree. <laughs> and and so it, it wasn't, like, that bad. But, it, like, emotionally and psychologically, it seemed to be that bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wasn't along for that ride. That doesn't mean it's not great. Right. It's, not it's just not your It's, it's not, not your my bag. speed. Yeah. Uh, Black Narcissus we already talked about. So I, I'm actually interested to see what else they got of what's in between Black Narcissus and and Peeping Tom. I'm more interested in Peeping Tom. Now. Well, you've seen Matter of Life and Death, right? No. Oh, yeah, you should watch that. Yeah, yeah. David Niven. Oh, I'm. Yeah, David Niven's the bomb. Interesting. In instantly interested. Yeah, I mean that is. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not right, but it's just one of those that in my brain, that's like the last, I mean, Tales of, Tales, Tales of Hoffman. Yeah. I've not seen. I, I, so I don't have any opinion. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. But I know but... it's considered, well, my perception is it's considered one of their, like their last great one, but it's a, it's a ballet. Um, so I just haven't been all enthused about it, mm-hmm. but I, did, I know I saw, um, Matter of life and death. It was it was the same kind of time frame, but I remember it being really quite good. And I I, I like David Niven. <laughs> I just I just get a kick out of the guy. He's great at murder by death. Oh yes, he's just. He's, it's really interesting because it just seems like in his later career, like the last ten fifteen years of his career, he's like playing a playing a parody of himself, mm-hmm. kind of like Leslie Nielsen did, and a lot of actors, Robert Stack and, and Airplane, where they just played like parodies of their earlier careers. And Lloyd Bridges did the same thing. And it just, it paid dividends. It right. really paid off It very well. You established a persona and then you can riff on it. Yeah. Or... It would have been nice if Charlie Chaplin were able to do that, you know, or Gary Cooper. Right. Or, uh, God, you know, it would have been great. Cary Grant would have been awesome at doing something like that. Yeah, but I, it, but Cary Grant was always walking a thin line between himself and a parody of himself, That's right? True. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. there's lots of movies where he is essentially a parody of himself. I mean, North by Northwest, he's almost a parody of himself. He keeps getting mistaken for someone else. It's like, who would mistake Cary Grant for anybody? <laughs> yes, right. It's kind of absurd. Wouldn't you know Cary Grant? It's like, <laughs> it's like just weird. Yeah. No one's mistaking Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Fuck no. No, that's not happening. That is definitely Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to think of that with Cary Grant. Okay. One of our aircraft is missing. You were not a fan. I was no. really surprised. No, well, no, no. Two and a half stars. I tried, yeah, I tried to make it clear in the Letterboxd review. I, it wasn't that I wasn't a fan. I thought it was perfectly serviceable and unremarkable, right? It wasn't bad by any stretch, but it was just like it wasn't great. I didn't really see a whole lot. Aside from the opening 20, 
15, 30 minutes or however long that was, which I thought the bombing mission was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty well done and pretty, you know, entertaining. But the remainder of it, you know, the 49th parallel, you establish some pretty significant stakes early on. There's a threat to the Canadians. And then there's correspondingly a threat to the German crew. And it's not like you're rooting for the German th crew, but you're not sure what's going to happen with them. There's these, you know, events that cause members of their crew to, you know, they, they get smaller and smaller. Whereas I never really felt with, you know, one of our aircraft is missing, like there was a real serious threat to any of our protagonists, right? I didn't get a sense of peril because it was never really established up front that there was real mortal you know, stakes, right? If they'd have had one or two crew members die in the beginning or get captured, maybe it's a different way of doing it. But I never yeah, and instead it was in the end. Well, you had the one guy that was missing for half the movie. Right, but and then he's, he's a soccer he's, player. Right. Yeah, so he's a, he's a soccer player. That's another criticism because he plays soccer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But like I said, I didn't think it was bad. Mm -hmm. It was just one of those that, you know, relative to what I perceived its sister film to be, I just didn't think it was as good. Right. And um, uh, what was what was the uh, lead actress's name? Leader of the Dutch Resistance, at least who they were communicating with. Yeah, I don't remember, that? but I thought she was... Goody really or good. Goodfree? I mean, she had an interesting... The actress had an interesting name. I thought yeah. she was, you know, quite good, but also... It seemed very theatrical to me, as opposed to the rest of the movie. It just it just didn't work well, on com my end. Well, compared to the Forty Ninth Parallel, I'd say that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very much on the nose. Like where I'm being dramatic to be dramatic, right? Yeah, because things are again like that was. Uh, that's a, a strange one because that was released before the Forty Ninth Parallel, but you know they started shooting that before the uh, fall of France. I thought it was. I thought it was released after. Oh, it's forty-one and forty-two, but you. Oh, it's probably right. forty-two. Yeah, you're right. Well, they're in they're in Holland, mm -hmm. and Holland's occupied, so that right. would definitely be after uh, June of nineteen forty. Okay, so I've got other things that I want to get to after our decade discussion, but I want to get into the decade discussion because we we talked about, and we might have to split this up. We got to do that. Holy mo moly moly. Um. But you and I talked about, I don't remember if it was, I think it was in Galveston, of, you know, we're going to go 1994, 1984, mm -hmm. 1974. Yeah, I just chose a random year. Okay. There was no, there was no real point to choosing that year. But I was like, if you took eighty six mm -hmm. and seventy six and sixty six, and you know, then you would come the way. So oh, absolutely, yeah. So I did some some research, and keeping the context here of the golden age of Hollywood from nineteen twenty two to nineteen sixty two, which is generally when when people describe to it, we're very much unfamiliar with the popular sentiment at the time. And all we know is our research. Mm -hmm. you know, this is why Eric Rentschler went into old folks homes in Germany in the 1980s and, and asked what movies were you watching? So right. it was a complete disconnect from the movies that he was 
reading about, which is what all the scholars were saying, right, were important films. Well, not to the people who lived at the time. Right. So I went year year by year by, by year by year by decade. So starting in 1924, uh, America by D.W. Griffith was the highest grossing film, a revolutionary war film that was edited in with a love story. Uh, Greed by Eric von Stroheim, which really surprised me, mm-hmm. was was a very popular film, despite that that was the, the 24-hour film that was massacred and cut down to like 90 minutes or so. And it, everything's been lost. The Last Laugh by F.W. Murnau, which a lot of people talk about now, which was popular in Germany at the time. The Marriage Circle by Ernst Lubitsch when he was doing his comedies. Sherlock Jr. by Buster, Buster Keaton, Keaton. Re- which was popular at the time and is yeah, popular now. Absolutely. And Thief of Baghdad by which is, Douglas Furbanks. Which is an interesting, you know. I've never seen it. And that's about the only one I think I've seen. Cool. I've, I've not seen any of the rest of them. I mean, the 1920s or one of those. It's like, okay, yeah. My experience with most of them, just n- not that great. But you've got some heavy hitters here. Like, I would say that in my experience in, say, film school, mm-hmm. all of these films we talked about in yes, one form or another. Because they're important, but... I just don't know. But the only one we watched was Sherlock Jr. Mm-hmm. So, but if you went... Of course, again, how many of these movies, you know, have survived? Right. You know, and that's the other problem is that the early stuff is always going to have an advantage over the more recent things because the only things that are remembered for the most part are the great films. Right. Right. That's true. So, 1934... That's when you get some... I mean, it's it's unfair. Like you're moving from silent to sound. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, the twenties. I mean, you might as well just dismiss them. I mean, they shouldn't. It's not that they don't have validity, right? But the impact, for the most part, is going to be greatly lessened because exactly what you said: sound versus silent. And silent mm-hmm. has had a lot of influence, but it definitely dates it. Right. So in 1934. Cleopatra was the highest grossing film. Mm-hmm. I've never seen. I've never fucking seen this film. I've not seen that either. Now, apparently, uh, Vivian Lee made a Cleopatra film uh, in the late forties. Okay. I've seen tons of pictures of her, and apparently, that was a very popular film. The only one that we're familiar with is the one from uh, nineteen sixty-three with Taylor. With Taylor, and right. uh, and that was like. By far the most expensive movie ever, especially with adjusted dollars, I think. It I think it still might be. I think it is. Yeah. It's it's more than Titanic. It's more than Avatar. It bankrupted Scott uh, Fox Studios. Right. And it bounced back reasonably well to get, well, It, maybe it did. Well, so, <laughs> that, I mean, to get off on a sidetrack, Daryl Zanuck, who founded Fox Studios, he was on the outs mm-hmm. because he kept sleeping with the actresses. He went to Europe. He shot the longest day. They used longest day to generate revenue for for Fox while it was everything was shelling out to Cleopatra. Trying to cover Cleopatra. Then he cut Cleopatra. It was supposed to be a two part epic, two three hour epics, which were supposed to be called Cleopatra and Caesar and Cleopatra and Antony. And presumably all those elements are lost, so they can't reconstruct it. Right. Presumably all that is lost. And. Uh, Zanuck and Joseph Mankiewicz, the director, cut it down to one three-hour epic, which I have to say 
It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I love that film. Uh, but I would like to see what else Mankiewicz shot. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, the Cleopatra. Now, it happened one night. That's famous film today. Yeah. Have you, you've seen it, yes? No. Uh, oh, no, no, I did. Sarah yeah, and I saw it like 20 it. years yeah. ago. Yeah. I mean, that one I actually find. And that, and that swept the Oscars. Yeah. And that I, that's, that's just a damned entertaining movie. I mean, I could see why it would be so popular. The Scarlet Empress. Mm-hmm. An amazing film, visually. Right. Plot, nothing. Nothing, but it's kind of a cool experimental film. Yeah, Von Stroheim. Now, I've not seen Dames by Busby Berkeley. I just happened, so I have no opinion. Everyone should see at least one Dick Powell movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dames is great. Busby Berkeley was a brilliant man. Um. He really should have worked with Rita Hayworth in her heyday. Right. Like when Rita Hayworth was doing all the things that Busby, Bame, Busby Berkeley was famous for. Sorry, I've been drinking. It's quite all right. Yeah. Um, now, the gay divorcee. Yes, Fred and Ginger. Right. Uh, I, when I was a kid, Fred and Ginger were still like in the popular consciousness. They were really famous people. Oh, yeah. And, and they, had, they did 10 films together and God knows how many films uh, separately. Um, I was surprised when I was in when I was in college. We didn't see a Fred and Ginger film. Instead, we saw the Gold Diggers of 1933, which Ginger, I think that's her first or second film. Um, and I've heard of the gay divorcee. They've they've kind of faded off. They kind the past of have few decades. Yeah, in, I mean, in terms pop- of people knowing about them, right? Which is hard for me to understand, but I guarantee you, my kids have never heard of them. Right, guarantee. Right. Mine too. Yeah, Mine too. no way. But I mean, to think that there was ever a time where Ginger Rogers wouldn't be known. Right. Like my Lord. Or Fred Astaire. Or Fred Astaire. Yeah. Of course, my daughter had never heard of, no, I'm totally brainwalking, uh, Singing in the Rain. Um, oh, Bing Crosby? No. Um, the girl in Singing in the Rain? No. We're going to have to edit this out because this is embarrassing. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Oh, my God, that's embarrassing. Can we pull up Singing in the Rain? I'm going to right now. It's, it's, it's terrible that I can't remember. Suck as a human. Gene Kelly. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, I'm a dipshit. Oh, I mean, but no, she that's okay. Heard... I didn't remember. Yeah, she, she didn't remember. She had no idea who Gene Kelly was. It's like, but he's Gene. But he's Gene Kelly. Kelly. How can you not yeah, know? Exactly. So yeah. I mean, she wouldn't know who Fred Astaire is. Okay. <clears throat> now, you missed at least one movie from the 1930s on the list you sent me. That's well, really 19, But is it from 1934? It is. Okay. It is. Okay. The Thin Man. I did miss that. Which is... Why does that belong here? Why does that belong why there? Why does that belong here? For me, personally, I find it a, well, authentically hysterical movie. I think the it's humor... A, it's a comedy? You've... I've never seen it. Oh. William Powell and Myrna Lloyd. You... Okay. No, watch that. It's it's fucking funny. It's I mean I remember as even a, for today. Yeah. Well. Okay. I believe so. I have not seen it in quite a long time, but I remember watching that one as you know probably your son's age, about fifteen or fourteen, sixteen. No, nah, it wasn't sixteen. I was probably fifteen or fourteen, and watching that. And that movie is legitimately hysterical. So we can agree that nineteen thirty four was better than nineteen twenty four. I think so, yeah. I, I, I do think so. 
Okay. But it was really when you get to 30 or 44 and 54, which stuff really starts expanding so much that we remember it. Right. So 1944, uh, the highest grossing film was Going My Way mm-hmm. by Bing Crosby. I found that surprising because I had actually read, and I, I told you about it before, how I had read somewhere where This is the Army, starring Ronald Reagan, was the highest grossing film of 1944. And I, I looked it up, and it, it, it wasn't true. That's it not was, accurate, yeah. It was, being, it, was, it was this one, Going My Way. Um, but This is the Army it was like an extremely popular film. So the winner uh, of the Best Picture for 1944 was 30 Seconds Over Co- Tokyo. Now, see, there are two movies you have on here, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo and A Guy Named Joe, that I went back and looked. They're both 1943 releases. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh. You mean to tell me Wikipedia is wrong? Um, it, it, well, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, now, if it may have released been... in 33, then it's going to get the Oscar in 44. So right. we're, we're immediately making an assumption here. Right. Yeah. So I, I was curious about that because I'd run across a couple that it's like, okay, they were obviously before... Okay, or, so that means that Cleopatra was released in '33. No, I, I don't. I hadn't run across anything that actually said that, okay. so I'm not sure. That's what I was getting at. So, for the purposes of this conversation, let's go ahead and include it because it's okay. going to be close enough. Okay, okay, right. But right, but a, a guy named Joe was '43. Right, which is that's when I looked it up. That's what it said. Did Did you like a guy named Joe? Have you seen it? I've not seen it. I've seen Always, which is yeah. Spielberg's remake. Right. I, I love Always. Yeah, I thought Always was fine. I was in. It, and I like Spencer Tracy, so I'm assuming I would yeah. like that, but I've not seen it. I, I find it amazing that, that people don't like Always. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Dreyfuss, John Goodman, Holly Hunter, Audrey Hepburn. What What is it that you don't like? But when you think of Spielberg films, that never comes up. No, gosh, it's not even – yeah, it's certainly not – this is – this is Spielberg as Ready Player One. It's certainly not one of those that people are going to remember as a Spielberg movie. Yeah, yeah. And, or and, and Tintin. Have you seen – right. So you've seen both of those, Ready mm-hmm. Player One and Ten Ten. Mm-hmm. Great movies. Yeah, they're entertaining. Yeah, I, f- I find them. I, I love those movies. Okay, uh, to have and have not. Howard Hawks movie. I've not. Yeah. S- I've not seen that either. Not seen it. Oh, that's that's the Bogart and Bacall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it's probably pretty damn good. No, we're on a, we're on a Bogart kick around here. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> You'll run so it. It's, it's eventual. Uh, Lifeboat. Also, I haven't seen it, but also, I, that was I know extremely of it. popular at the yeah, time. I know it's a yeah. big deal. A propaganda but, movie. But Double Indemnity is next, and that one is... Huge. It's a, yeah, it's a genuine classic. That's a bomb. Right. On this list, that is a bomb. Mm-hmm. Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy Garland, another popular film. Yeah, don't know it. Ivan the Terrible is... It's pretty interesting. It's a good movie. It's not one of those I sit back there and say, man, that was a great movie, but I'm going to have a different perspective than, say, film students. Right. Right. So it's it's terribly important. Also not out in the West at the time. That doesn't surprise me. It wasn't me. shown until uh, the 50s. Right. And to anybody who may be listening, we're going to have, obviously, a huge bias towards American products. Well, for sure. For sure. Right. Now, uh, the last time I saw Ivan the Terrible, mm-hmm. I was floored. I, I just, uh, I've seen it probably twice, maybe three times. And uh, the only, you know... The, that's the one that everybody pulls when they're making documentaries on the History Channel. Right. You know, whenever you get to that period about Ivan the Terrible, let's pull that Eisenstein movie out. <laughs> National Velvet. Velvet. Another another one that was uh, with Elizabeth Taylor, who was mm-hmm. like 16. Yeah, she was a kid. Enormously popular at the time. And, and we forget about this. You know, Shirley Temple for 20 years ruled the world. 
Mickey Rooney for 20 years was everyone's teenager, you know? Shit, hang on a second. Yes, you are right. Continue. Uh, Song of Russia, uh, one of these films that nobody likes to talk about now, extremely popular at the time. Um, then the war is over mm-hmm. and politics change. And people think, why did Hollywood produce and push a propaganda movie about our enemy? And the Song of Russia became the central focus about uh, from the uh, WHO Act, the House Committee on American, American Activities. Activities, right? Um, and Bogart and Bacall actually, uh, among many people, flew to Washington to uh, support a lot of artists who were being persecuted uh, by WHO Act. And Ayn Rand, who is the writer of the uh, the screenplay of The Fountainhead. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a screenplay for Atlas Shrugged, and which wrote, was never produced. She wrote the books. She yeah. wrote the books. Uh, and she was a Hollywood screenwriter for years, like mm-hmm. 10 years. And and they pulled her in front of the committee and said, why why is Song of Russia uh, Russian propaganda? And if you read her testimony and if you watch the movie, she brings up very convincing points. And I won't say that Ayn Rand is wrong. What I will say is that uh, – Song of Russia was made in a time of place in which Russia was our ally. And I didn't see anything offensive about Song of Russia. I didn't see anything offensive about Russia being our ally. We were fighting the Nazis. Right. So uh, it just seems like everyone just conveniently forgot that point at the time because it was convenient for them politically. Well, yeah. And so it's, it's an infamous movie. But I, I think that if you and I were to watch this now, we would both say, hey, that, that was a pretty good film. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, it has that reputation. Uh, and then, of course, Tunisian Victory, which is on Netflix right now, if you ever get a chance. Okay, I've not seen by it. By Frank Capra. That's... Outstanding? Outstanding documentary. Outstanding documentary. Yeah. And and Capra had a lot of help from guys who, who worked on cartoons at Disney to make the maps and and a lot of the animations about forces moving across the desert. Very, very good. Now, there are a couple other... Oh, you found some that were released? Yeah, I mean, I used some... uh, I said I I had spent some time on it, but I wasn't able to make as much time as I would have liked. So there was another Frank Capra movie that came out that year. Oh. That's actually, in my mind, more well-remembered. And that's Arsenic and Old Lace. Never seen it. Oh, that's funny. That's good. I, I enjoy comedy. That. It's a comedy. Oh yeah, it's very funny. He it's, did that in Hollywood. Hmm? It was a it was a Cary Grant vehicle, and really. Oh, that's why you know it. That is exactly <laughs> why I know it. My grandmother apparently had quite the crush on him, but it is a funny movie. At least it was to me. You know, the Canterbury Tale by Powell and Pressburg was also that year. Mm. So I, I have not seen that one. I just know of it. Um, Gaslight, which of course is famous for this overused phrase of gaslighting. Right. Um, but that was another of getting someone to feel bad about right and convincing him it's not accurate. But it had right. Ingrid Bergman, right? Henry. The oh Fifth. my God, that's fitting. Yeah, because of her relationship with Montgomery Cliff. Right. Yeah. You have Olivier's Henry V and Laura, which I've not seen, but I just know the name. Oh, that was really popular. Right. That was very popular yeah. at the time. Okay. Okay. So uh, forty-four versus thirty-four. 
Well, I mean, it's 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 hard for me to say, right? I, I mean, mean, double indemnity. I mean, that's just such a huge film noir, right? I mean, I think that then you there's a there's a shift, right? Just like from twenty four to thirty four, you see a pretty significant shift from you know the silent to the talkies, right? And thirty four, you know, it happened one night. I think is it's it's an undeniable classic. And the Thin Man, I really enjoyed, but then Forty Four, you really start to see something of a, from a broad standpoint, more of a maturation, I guess. You know, the movies, broadly speaking, are more serious, I guess. I mean, you do have Ivan the Terrible, which was in Hollywood, so take that one out of it. I think you get a lot of serious stuff in here. Yeah, um, like National Velvet was. Uh... I wouldn't say that it was a, a comedy, but it, it, it balanced. Right. But it's right. one of those, you kind of see this progression. Right. Right. And, and also, you, you're dealing with a, a difference in audience. Like, in, in the 30s and 40s, everyone went to see films. Mm -hmm. It was more in the popular consciousness. And I remember seeing something like in the 30s and 40s, particularly in the 40s, people went to see the movies like three, four times a week. Right. And even during the war, like, the war didn't stop that. Like, they were showing uh, two or three movies a week to the troops. Or if you weren't in active combat, then, I mean, you were in the movie theater. What what else were you going to do if you were behind the lines? There's only so many times you can clean your rifle. But just, just if I were to choose three, to have and to have not, which is infamous, mm -hmm. double indemnity, even... Even Ivan the Terrible. Like if I were to choose three from 1934, it happens one night. Scarlet Empress, the man who knew too much. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean towards 1944. Yeah, I would as well. Absolutely. Right? And I think that is an age. 1944. That is an age after Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And I think that changes a lot. I think so. And then when we jump to the next decade with 54, is yeah. you know you get out of the war and you start seeing a lot more freedom with the tales that are getting told and the ways that they're doing. I mean, there's a huge jump in that 10 years. And oddly enough, the highest grossing film in 1954 was white Christmas, a film about the war. Yeah. And is eminently entertaining with you know? George Clooney's mother. Yes. Rosemary Clooney, <laughs> the Bing Crosby, Danny Kay. I mean, these are, I could see where that would be the highest grossing. You know, it is popular entertainment, and there is nothing wrong with it. The Kane Mutiny. Yep. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which when I was a kid, my grandparents had that on VHS. Uh -huh. I watched the shit I out watched of that. the hell out of that movie. That was a Disney movie that went the mile. Mm -hmm. I told Luke about it. Luke was instantly like a Disney movie with Kirk Douglas. Oh, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> and he was quite the manly man. And James Mason. Yeah, that's right. Did he play Nemo? Uh, yeah, he did. Oh, my God. Peter Laurie was in it. The Glenn Miller story. Again, Which, a movie about the war. Right. The infamous A Star is Born. Infamous is wrong. A Star is Born has always been a popular tale. Always. They've done it, what, three or four times now? Yeah. If it's like Brewster's Millions. Yeah. Which just, is due for a remake. It just kind of works. Yeah. Seven Brides for Seven, Seven Brothers. Brothers. Another seen it. huge, hugely successful film. Which... If you were to ask anyone who is in a drama in high school, 
they would they would know Seven Brides for Seven Brides. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a musical or theatrical or drama program in high school, and that's a lot of people in in the United States, right? You know, Rear Window, which like is that. probably my personal favorite from the Hitchcock movies. Really? Oh yeah, I think it is. Rear Window. I, I think it's my personal favorite. Really big crush on Grace Kelly for a long time. Well, that's completely understandable. I mean. Real, but I really I'd like to see it again. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but that's probably the one I remember most fondly. I saw this uh, feed on uh, I, I want to say it was Twitter, maybe it was Instagram, and it was a it was a picture of Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly mm-hmm. backstage at the Oscars. I don't know what year it was. I'm thinking because she won for uh, Roman Holiday. Okay, so I'm thinking it might be that. They both look. Amazing, yeah, like shockingly, like you can you can understand why those two ladies, yeah, were just worshipped, yeah, because God blessed them. I know, I know, and <laughs> it's I, I've always been an Audrey fan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've never been a Grace Kelly fan, but uh, seeing those two or three photos where they were just like uh, talking to each other candidly, right? Like wow, and there's probably wow. something there because oftentimes you and I have different perspectives on a lot of things, yeah. And it's one of those things where I'm an Elvis guy, you're a Beatles guy. Right. I'm a Grace Kelly guy, you're I'm an Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Guy. Yeah. There's probably something there. Yeah. No, but the winner uh, for Best Picture that year was, uh, unsurprisingly to anybody who watches film, On the Waterfront. Which is a pretty modern movie. You know, it's almost, it's kind of surprising it won Best Picture. Because I, it's hard. I mean, that was way before I was born. But it's like I, it's I have a hard time believing that that was popular. Not because it's not so good, but because it is so different than a lot of the other movies that are the good guy. It's not the good guy, right? And it's just it's realistic, which may be part of the reason why it won. Is it was just a very different way of showing it. Well, the fifties was the time in which we we look back and we judge a lot, and we we talk about conformism. I don't judge. All of those things. Well, you know, we as a society look <laughs> no, back and, you know. It's a joke. Yeah. And, and it breaks that norm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, nobody remembers Marty, which won, I think, the previous year, the year after. I remember Ernest Marty. Borgnine, Ernest which is Borgnine. why Ernest Borgnine is a is Right, a star, why he's a big star. Because he won the Oscar for Marty, and Marty won Best Picture. Um, I've never seen Marty. Uh, I think I read the book. I've seen On the Waterfront. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. seen On the Waterfront. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Entertaining, 3D, love it. Yeah. Bad movie, but really enjoy it. Uh, when I was a kid, I this was on Nickelodeon endlessly. Mm-hmm. Loved it. No, it was one of my, my dad had purchased the VHS tape, and it was, we got the 3D glasses with it. <laughs> nice. And there's another one, I mean, I am going to throw in some ones that I'd run across, and there's a good companion piece to that with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, with the Black Lagoon, and yeah, them, them, and then yeah. got, Godzilla or Gojira. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've really got sort oh of my this. God. Gojira was this year? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. I see that. I've got that written down. Yes, you do. Yeah. You have it. Yes. And then Dial In for Murder. Mm-hmm. Which kind of a hits. lesser Hitchcock for me. Okay. Even though Grace, Grace Kelly is also in it. Yes. Johnny John... Guitar, which I've not seen, but is I know is really, really regarded. Yeah. And then uh, Sabrina, like I said. So, I mean, out of, out of this list. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Do you want to know some of the ones you missed that you're going to yes, like, want to hang yourself? Yes. All right. So, Animal Farm. The British. Uh, they made a film of that. Yeah, of it was a, animated. 
I never, I never. I, saw I know I saw that when really? I was in high school. Yeah, it was made in 1954. Mm-hmm. Is it color? I believe so. Wow. Sancho the Bailiff, which I've not seen, but I've, I haven't I, seen. I, it. I, I know of it, but I've not seen it. La Strada by Fellini. Oh yes. This one's gonna, the last one though is going to break your heart, oh. and it's going to really throw a lot of ammunition towards 70 or 54 being a huge year. Uh-huh. Seven Samurai. Oh fuck. So from a Hollywood perspective, yeah, you have on the waterfront, but you're really seeing this. Oh well, that just you're seeing a lot of the international. Seven Samurai just kills everything. Yeah, I mean it's that. I mean that blows 1944 out of the water. It, it, yeah, it kind of does it was, lean it that way pretty heavily. I mean, because that's that destroys double indemnity to have and to have not. Yeah, it really. It's pretty strong. Yeah. I mean, just as a single film. Right. It, is it the best movie of that year? I don't know, but it's definitely the most well-respected and best remembered of that year. Well, see, the thing is, like, I'm a fan of Sabrina, and I think we know why. You mm-hmm. remove her from Sabrina, what do you have? That's the, that's the problem. Right. You have to think of it in that context. Godzilla is a great Japanese film, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. You don't need Raymond Burr recut into it. Oh, it's no, just a it's, great film. It's yeah, better it's without him. It's much, the Japanese version is much better. It's it's far superior. No, like I said, I have a personal affinity to Rear Window, but yeah. is it as good as Seven Samurai? No, yeah, no, no, not. no. 20,000 Leagues, I got a lot of nostalgia for that. Seven Samurai, no question. Yeah. That's Kusura, Kurosawa plus Mifune. It's pretty tough that's, to beat. That's a tough combination yeah. to beat. I mean, there's a reason why that was remade several times. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I am embarrassed that I didn't write that down. Oh, I wouldn't be embarrassed. It's just one of those where it was there. It's like, oh, God. So then you go to 64, which I kind of perceive as a major dip in what I like as opposed to maybe quality. Right. But I find 64 kind of a dip. Okay. I mean, Mary Poppins, okay. It's fine. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, fine. Yeah, I yeah, like it. Yeah. Um, my fair, my lady, fair lady was the winner. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, I'm an Audrey fan, but right, and know, it is and again. I find by it movies, fine. it's not it's not spectacular, right? Yeah. You know, Goldfinger, love it, my favorite but, Bond movie, but it's in a franchise, right? It's, it, I, I mean, I, that's by far my favorite Bond film that I can think of. Yeah, now it's from Russia with Love. Is that actually 64? Is that 63? That uh, I believe that those. Uh, I think that's 63. Okay, yeah. So the shot in the dark, yeah. That's okay. That's admittedly hysterical. Yeah, Peter Sellers. It's yeah. It's okay. That one's Inspector Clouseau. That one's tremendous. Hard Day's Night is intoxicating. Yeah, that film. You don't have to be a Beatles fan in order to love no. that movie. It's it's again fairly. You can see the influences afterwards pretty easily. Yeah, you know it really made an impact. You know, Pink Panther. Good, very good. It's pretty funny. It was a good follow. It really up. is. There's yeah. a reason why there's six more after that. I've not seen. Top copy is good. I've it's not a, seen it. It's a it's a madcap caper. It's mm-hmm. not great. Right, but it's entertaining. Beckett was a huge film production with a huge audience. Peter O'Toole, uh, Richard Burton. It was supposed to be, uh, you know, two Englishmen acting at their height about a medieval topic. Like this was supposed to be, and and. Nobody's seen it today. You know, at the time, like I, I see these pictures. If you if you Google Peter O'Toole, uh-huh. you will see not just Lawrence of Arabia, but probably after Lawrence of Arabia, you'll you'll see pictures of Peter O'Toole 
standing in front of a marquee that says, Peter O'Toole in Lord Jin. Never heard of it, never seen it, never seen it referenced, no book I ever read, nothing I ever watched. It says, Peter O'Toole in Lord Jin. Made a lot of money that year. Right. A lot of people saw it. Nobody remembers it. Hmm. Uh, now, Seven Days in May, I watched in high school. And that was probably, should be, I would say, mandatory viewing in high school. And not to get too political, but, you know, we've got a president right now who says, well, I don't promise that I'm going to concede this election. And I'm not saying that we're going to get into a situation like this. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that just the idea of having a president say something like that puts something, puts a movie like this back on the map. Uh, now, this was remade in the 90s. And, yes. uh, God, what's his name from uh, from Law and Order? Sam Waterston Buffy played Waterston. the president. Mm -hmm. And Forrest Whitaker played uh, the Kirk Douglas role. And it was, it was in color, obviously. It was in the 90s. It was really good, but it was not Seven Days in May. And it, it had a different title. And a lot of the dialogue was absolutely the same, like it was lifted. But right. that Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, I don't remember who played the the, the president. I, I just thought that was a, a fantastic, like, 12 Angry Men type of Sidney mm -hmm. Lumet, almost a television-type drama that was very effective. And it still resonated to me, even as I was in high school. I was 17 or 18 when I saw that in, in government class. I was like, oh, right. shit. Oh, well, like our democracy is fragile. Like we're, we're relying on everybody doing the right thing. Right. We're expecting people to follow the rules. Right. Right. In the, in the rule book, which is the constitution. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but what if, what if it doesn't spell that out? Or what if the court doesn't spell it out? What if Congress doesn't spell it out? Are we, are we just going to go off of what people think? It's, it's a kind of that gray area in democracy is very scary. And I thought this film was very effective. And for 1964 on this list, I mean, despite the fact that you've got some, I mean, Cheyenne Autumn is on here. Dr. Strangelove is on here. Mm -hmm. I would say Seven Days in May and Dr. Strangelove, those are the one, are the two that really stand out to me. Yeah, probably. I mean, those plus Goldfinger. Yeah. Just because that's pure entertainment, kind of like Hard Day's Night. It's just pure entertainment, right? If you're looking at importance, it may not be that. That's fine. But for things that work right now as well as they probably did back then, then yeah, those certainly fit. Um, in regards to the ones you might have missed, there's really not much there. You have Failsafe. Oh, great, great movie. Yeah, it is. Great it is, movie. But it's not one of those where, if you're not a film freak, you probably don't know Failsafe. I saw, I saw that, uh, I think, in high school. It was on the Encore channel. Right. I think that still had a, a, a very good following, you know, in the 80s mm -hmm. and probably into the 90s. Right, but once we got past the Cold War. Well, see, see that's the thing. I think that there was... Um, I think for Cold War kids mm -hmm. like you and me, and we're kind of like the last generation of Cold War kids, sure, I remember so. what it was like yeah. during that. I think those movies will always find a place and always be resonant. Mm -hmm. And I, I think uh, after the Cold War, that's obviously going to taper off. And it really surprises me because it's it's not like anything's changed. Right? Yeah the the threat still exists. <laughs> it really does. I mean, not not in like a like a, a brinkmanship shooting mm -hmm. war type of thing. Mm, I don't know, but uh, definitely, I mean, the threat 
from Russia is real. And if you lived in Russia, the threat from us is real. real. And I'm not so sure I trust our, you know, People's Republic of China. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. The PRC. Yeah, separate topic. Then you have Marnie. And I threw Mask of the Marnie was in 1964? Yeah. And the Mask of the Red Death was just because it's Roger Corman. Yeah. No, that's huge for if you're a Cormanite. But it's not a good movie, but, you know, for his place. So many people worked on that. Oh, yeah. He's one of those where, you know, his, his, his company spawned a lot of entertainment later. And the Umbrellas of Cherbourg? Cherbourg? I can't pronounce that word. I've never been able to. It's a French film, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Jacques Demay and the Catherine Deneuve, who is just Grace Kelly-ish, in yes. my opinion. Like, yeah. wow, you're beautiful. But the problem is going to be, no matter what, 1974 wins. Well, so before we move on to 64, I mean, Strange Love has got to be the... The crown of 64. I would imagine you're probably right for today. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine, yeah, because The Killers is it's fun. Yeah. But is it one of those where it's remembered beyond dorks like us? Probably not. Yeah. But Strange Love still, to this day. Oh, yeah. People talk about it. Yeah, it's right. pro- no, you're you're right on that. Yeah. Strange Love is probably the one that's... I mean, nobody's talking about Zulu. Like, I have it on LaserDisc. I've seen it. I've seen I like it. it. Yeah, and... I can't. I, I don't. I haven't seen it since I was in uh, like probably a freshman. Yeah, you probably got Mary Poppins and Strange Love. And I saw Mary, Mary Poppins World. a few years ago. I saw Goldfinger this yeah, but, year. Right? But those are well, probably that will exist in the public consciousness yeah, for a long yeah, time. For a long, yeah. long well, time. If you're a, if it's a Bond movie, period. Yeah, I'm being a long time. Okay. So so seventy four. So we, we know that Strange Love was some sixty four. So seventy four highest grossing film, The Towering Inferno, trash, which is now on HBO Max. And I'm not watching it. I saw it in the eighties. Is it trash? It's it's close to trash. I, I I remember watching it when I was a kid. It's trash. I've never seen so much trash in in one film. Yeah, it's like thirty actors in that that are trash. I mean, yeah, the cast is amazing. The only good joke is they're going to blow the water tanks to put out the fire, mm-hmm. which are above the the lobby where everybody is. Dean Martin is strapping himself to a uh, uh, a pillar, mm-hmm. and I think. I don't know who it is. It's another star is coming over and like, you've got to get this glass away from you. And he takes this crate of whiskey and he pushes it away from Dean Martin. <laughs> and Dean Martin's already tied the knot in his rope. And he's like, no, wait. Wait, hey, hey. <laughs> that fits, yes. It's the only good joke. Yeah, but that's a, that is a good joke. Who thought that a movie with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman in the same film would be shit? Would be absolutely terrible. I, I don't know. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> Blazing Saddles. It's It's... It's really good. I mean, the yeah. two the two uh, Mel Brooks movies in seventy four yeah, are the only two. They're the only two Mel Brooks movies I like, and they I, are really good. What is wrong with you? The only two Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is a genius. Um, if he just stopped his career in nineteen seventy four, because he had the producers We're before then, right? Agree to disagree. What I'd, came out? What did he make afterwards that was worth? Uh, well, High Anxiety, which is okay. I've not seen it. Uh, <clears throat> it's it's it kind of makes fun of. Uh, uh, it's, the a, Hitchcock, I mean, it's a Hitchcock, really, yeah, and the one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? But I mean, yeah. I think Mel Brooks. I think, unfortunately, the latter years were at Spaceballs, and it's Spaceballs has. A, oh, well, okay, I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan of Robin Hood Men, Men in Tights. I'm I don't just, like Spaceballs. I'm just at all. not, but I, I'm a huge fan of Spaceballs. Mm. But the one that I, I'm really good, which you'll find in the first season, the first decade of the Super Seventy Podcast, mm-hmm. is uh, To Be or Not to Be, the remake. 
no, the see, Ernst Lubitsch film. I like the original. I like Jack Benny. Yeah. Well, everybody <laughs> likes Jack Benny. Yeah, Obviously, most... Mel Brooks did. Yes. Okay. Earthquake. Earthquake. Have you ever seen that? No. Don't. I'm not going to. I've got on my notes Charlton Heston, George <laughs> Kennedy, and many others. Yeah. The Trial of Billy Jack. Yeah, I'm not watching that I'm going to take the right side of my boot. I'm going to put it on the left side of your head, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. Now, yeah, I've not seen that, so I I, I don't know. But apparently the uh, disaster films were quite the rage. They were huge. They were huge. They were huge. Airport 1975. Airport 1975 with Dean Martin. Yeah. And Charlton Heston. People. Yeah. But The Longest Yard, which is... Yeah, that's, I can I can watching that that in Deliverance makes me go, oh, I know where Burt Reynolds was famous. Yes, you know. Yes, but it's not something that's outstanding. No, the Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, huge yeah, no. audience. No thanks. Nobody, nobody no, even thanks. knows about it. Yeah, no yeah. thanks. Murder on the Orient Express, big one. That's had that fantastic cast, phenomenal it was like, cast. It was like a towering inferno that worked. That was good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the winner, which is probably. The one everybody talks about, Godfather Part Two. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be the hammer. No, it's not. It's not. It's close. It's not. Is it Benji? It is not. Ben- well, actually, okay. So Godfather Part Two is definitely the hammer. Okay. Right? Okay. But you have one that there's like three movies that I'm amazed weren't in your list. Okay. So. And it's- so it's quick, one of those that makes seventy four. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, that wins. Okay, a quick a quick list before we yeah, get yeah, to absolutely. that. Okay. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Which, if you're a Peckinpah guy, is great. If you're yeah. not, it's who cares. The conversation. Yeah, Brilliant. exactly. It's yeah. amazing. Daisy Miller. It's Bogdanovich. It's worth seeing. Death Wish. It kind of kicked off a whole genre, love subgenre, it. right? F for fake. I've not seen it yet. Really, I know you love it. Yeah, Foxy Brown. Love Pam Greer. Yeah, it's like... I haven't seen it. But when you start getting to these, it's like, well, even if you don't have seen it, because I haven't seen it either, but it's like, I recognize that as important. So you've got a lot of hits here. Versus right. versus 64, versus 54. You've got a lot of... And this is where we get into the point of and even we're just where, living in an older era. Right, and I think that's also where Trump's 84 is because you have a lot of, oh, this subgenre began here. at this point. Right. That's a good point. Where these ones in the in the future wouldn't exist without these. I think what, what you're right there, particularly like in documentaries, we have Hearts and Minds, mm-hmm. which won the the Oscar for best documentary. Right. Uh, the Night Porter, another brilliant film. The Taking of Pelham One Two Three, which we talk about seventies cop drama, which has been remade and remade Maybe. and remade and parodied by the Beastie Boys. You got Sugarland S- Express. You got Spielberg's Kickoff. Yeah. You have your. Zardoz. I can't believe. I'm not watching Acid Zarda or taking Acid Zardoz. Yeah. All right. But so, so you were saying the one that I missed. That yeah, you've got several, and it's gonna. I'm gonna go. You're gonna embarrass me. I'm not gonna embarrass you. It's just one of those that you know, time, everything else, right? You just don't, you know, whatever. So you have a weird one that gave me nightmares as a kid, which is Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, never saw it. Yeah, I, I saw it as a kid, and it freaked me out to no end. You have what's probably one of the bottom five Bond films. Man with the Golden Gun. I, I probably didn't put it on that list understood. for a reason. Yeah. Understood. You've got Cassavetti is a woman under the influence. Which oh, I'm I hear seeing, that's good. But I understand yeah. that is you know very important. Yeah. You have the Parallax View. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Right. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. All right. So Despite these, the ending. These are the ones that I think, you know, all 
are notable. Okay. All right. So Lenny by Bob. Oh Hope. yeah, with uh, Dustin, uh, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman playing right. Lenny. I Bruce. don't think I enjoyed it. I watched it in college. I didn't yeah. enjoy it, but it's it's definitely a groundbreaking type of film. Okay. Um, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Oh yeah, uh, Scorsese. All right. So this yeah. one's the last one is the one that makes you go oh. Chinatown. Yeah. It's like when you have Chinatown, Godfather 2, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. Oh, that blows 64 it's like, out of the It's wall. like, oh my gosh, it starts to get a little bit absurd. That blows The conversation. Yeah. That's the, and, oh, and another one. No, that's in 1974. No, we are in 74, right? Yeah. Chainsaw Massacre. It, it's, that's Toby Hooper? Yeah. Um, I'm impressed with Chainsaw Massacre, but it's one of those that I under- wouldn't I wouldn't put it in. Yeah, but like, it's one of those that indisputably started. Oh, for this sure, movement, yeah. right? There's no Poltergeist without Chainsaw, right? And without Poltergeist, you don't have an industry today. Yeah, I mean, would Halloween exist without it? Would Nightmare? It's tough. I don't know, but it it's is tough. one of those where there is there's this line in the sand, kind of before and after. God, yeah. Halloween's like five years later. Yeah, so it's one of those where it's it's really important, kind of like Death Wish is, right? You may not like the vigilante subgenre, or but you might, started, but you can't look yeah. at it and say, huh. well, well, you've got important films, like feminist films, like Ms. 45 mm-hmm. uh, from 1980. There's no Ms. 45 without Death Wish. I don't think so. People refer to that as a female Death Wish, and there are people that say that Ms. 45 is ten times better than Death and Wish. And it might be. I've not seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I've, I've seen clips of it, which are just really disturbing. But... <laughs> That's an Abel Ferrara? Ferrara? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make, like, the most feel-good movies that I recall. No, but, I mean, the 70s is full of... You know, this isn't feel good, but damn, it's good. Right. I mean, the end of conversation, like, how, how do you not leave the theater as, like, the most paranoid person right. ever? But damn, that movie. But it's good. good. Okay, 1984. All right. All right. This, this is the one that originally you had declared as potentially. Yeah, potentially the greatest film year for film. Of the greatest film X-4s. year. Of, of the of the Yeah, of the fours. But I... But my my thesis was, without any research right, or support whatsoever, like if you took 1985 versus 1975 versus mm-hmm. 1965, like the 80s would win every time. Right. I understand that eventually you're going to get to 1982 and Casablanca was made in 1942, and then right. you're going to run into that Right, but if you take those, problem, right. if you have the 1980s, they'll win three out of the years, which would be a yeah, majority, the majority of the like time. That. Okay, right. and we're talking about Beverly Hills Cop. Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, Romancing the Stone, uh, The Search for Spock. That does not belong in that group, but you get where I'm going. Splash, The Killing Fields, Paris, Texas, A Passage to India, Against All Odds, Repo Man, This is Spinal Tap, Purple Hearts, 16 Candles, Once Upon a Time in America, Top Secret, The Last Starfighter, Red Dawn, Buckaroo, fucking Bonsai, All of Me, Terminator, another one on the on the Super Seventy podcast. Mm-hmm. I think that's a strong, strong, strong run. And I think you're being blinded by your nostalgia. Okay, I mean of things that would be remembered fifty years from now, right? Beverly Hills Cop, there's a chance, right? Best Picture, Amadeus, there's a chance. 
A pretty decent chance, I suspect. Right? Ghostbusters, for sure. Temple of Doom, yeah, it seems very likely. Gremlins, I don't think so. Karate Kid, no no way. Police Academy, no. <laughs> you know there's no way. <laughs> Footloose, the same thing, no. Uh, Romancing the Stone, I think you and I enjoy tremendously. But... I, I, I don't I don't see it having staying power. Search for Spock. It's an odd numbered Star Trek movie, so therefore not good. Splash. Again, we probably have some degree of personal affinity for it, but is it going to be remembered? I, I tend to doubt. You know, Killing Fields. Maybe it's important, right? I remember that being a big deal. Paris, Texas. Okay, that's everybody kind of agrees. Okay, that's 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 awesome, right? Um, Passage to India is, in my opinion, the least of the David Leans that I've seen. Um, against all odds, I've I don't I've never seen that, so I don't have an opinion. Um, Repo Man is really cool, but unlike say Chainsaw Massacre, it didn't kick anything off. Right, it was definitely a thing from '84 that is definitely a product of '84. That is very cool for people like us who were 13 and 84. Well, I was 13 and 84. You know, same thing with 16 Candles. I don't know Purple Hearts at all. Great Vietnam movie. I've never, I don't know it at Great all. Great Vietnam movie. You know, Once Upon a Time in America, maybe one day we're going to get the six-hour cut. Right? Is there a six-hour cut? Allegedly. Oh, my God. Allegedly, but it's like nobody's ever seen well, it. Well, I don't mind sitting through the four hour, right? But I I find it beleaguering to think that there's a six hour. <laughs> I sat through the work print for Apocalypse Now. Uh-huh. Holy shit! <laughs> just to say, just to get the sticker. <laughs> but I mean, Top Secret is definitely lesser Zucker Brothers. Last Starfighter, nobody remembers but you and me. Red Dawn, kind of the same type of deal, even though I, you know, Buckaroo Banzai, same thing. It's personally entertaining. All of me, same type of thing. Terminator, big one, kicked off a whole thing. And there's a lot of movies that you didn't have that it's like I kind of have personal affinity for, but I recognize probably aren't that great. Such as? Um, Night of the Comet. You don't remember that? No. Yeah, well, we'll look it up afterwards. Um, but, okay, but from the, some of the other hits from 84 is Blood Simple. Okay, Start, kicked off the Coen Brothers, so, you know, no no different than Sugarland Express. The Bounty. Um, the Natural is actually, it's pretty good. A lot of people like that one. I like that movie. I mean, it's kind of romantic, but I like it. Nightmare. Nightmare on Elm Street. Jim Jarmusch's Jarmusch? Yeah. Stranger Than Paradise. A Soldier Story, which I've not seen, but I remember being a big deal at the time. That's Denzel. David Lynch's Dune. I, I would not put that on no. any list. Like No, but it's just it's something mm-hmm. to note. Yeah. <laughs> Your film Ice Pirates. I fucking love Ice Pirates. <laughs> you know, you have a Woody Allen Broadway, Danny Rose. No, 19, no, 1984. No. Of course. Yeah. And John Sayles' Brother from Another Planet, which I've not seen, but I know of it. Is that the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, it's got uh, Joe Morton. Okay. So, I mean, even the ones that 
weren't on the original list. Not very many of them were all that critical. Maybe Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe Blood Simple. I don't know, man. I just, Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, yeah. Temple of Doom. Um, Probably Amadeus. See, now, I I don't think that Amadeus, like, I like Milos Forman, but mm-hmm. I don't think that movie has staying power. Purple Hearts, 16 Candles. 16 Candles wouldn't even be released today. No, it wouldn't. It's not going to be remembered except for as a, you know, residual racist memory, which is well, totally, inac- uh, is totally that's, inaccurate. That's certainly true, or the fact that, you know, Anthony Michael Hall is holding up all yeah, his panties in front of 30 people. I, th- I think like that, that looking through it in those lenses is completely unfair, unjustified, and absurd. But that's the times we live in now, right? Yeah. You know, Terminator, of course. Well, you would think. I just, I just think, well, okay, Terminator is in, is in that block, in that group. I would think. When I think Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. Temple of Doom, Terminator, that's definitely in that block. Mm-hmm. In terms of 16 Candles, it's the same problem that you have in, in a lot of John Hughes movies, some kind of wonderful. It's not, it's not limited to Hughes. Um, we've grown uncomfortable sexualizing girls that are underage. <clears throat> that's all there is to it. It's not like it was, it was ever extremely popular, but it was tolerated. Right, and just over the years, it's become more and more uncomfortable. Until recently, it's 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 now it's it is now a full blown no zone. So, but it, um, well, like in like in the Breakfast Club, there's a camera shot up Molly Ringwald's skirt. Mm-hmm. It's not even her. It's like a right, but it's the character, right? But it's 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 the character, and I'm glad that kids who are you know 15, 16 year olds don't have sex. Well. At, <laughs> There was a time in which that was, it was permissible, maybe accepted is is the wrong word, but it was something that we acknowledged was happening. Right. There's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to it. Right. right. And then now, probably more minors than ever are having sex, and we're just ignoring it. Oh, I doubt that. Oh, you don't think so? Oh, I bet you it's less now than it was 15 years ago. Really? Mm -hmm. Look at the habits of that age group now. There's not as near as much socialization. They're they're sexting and they're not right sexing. That that's a good argument. So I and I mean look at kids now, not all of them, but a lot of them are reluctant to get their driver's license. Right. Yeah. Right. Social media saving virginity all over the world. Yeah, I mean it's not one of those where it's doing it on purpose. It's just kind of one of those unfortunate, but convenient. Well, and side and that could be driving. That could be driving the attitude. Oh, I suspect that it probably is. But I think for the most part, 1984, you know, yeah, you've got some ones that are entertaining, but I don't know if there's a whole lot of, you know, monumental films that you'll get and go, ah, this was, I mean, Ghostbusters, I think, is one of them, right? I can see where Beverly Hills Cop is potentially one of them. Well, I wasn't alive during 1974, so no. 1984 no. is the first four year where I was right. alive, and I I saw probably close to all of these movies in the theater, with the exception of Passage to India, Repo Man. Probably didn't see Spinal Tap. No, I didn't see that in the theater. But all the rest of them, Paris, Texas, 
I even I saw Amadeus in the theater. Yeah, I did too, actually. So, so there is a huge difference of now we're in our living memory. Mm-hmm. However, my memory of films that we saw in 1974 is very strong. All of the films that we listed in 1974, with the exception of a few of them, right. Towering Inferno, Earthquake, Billy Jack, all of those I've seen in the last 10 years. Sure. Except for, you know, Zardoz. I haven't <laughs> seen that in a while. Yeah. Um, so it's not like those are out of my living memory. No. I mean, I... But there's reasons you revisited them, right? Right. Because they right. were recognized as important in some capacity. Right. Right. So 84 was, what, 36 years ago? Or, yeah. yeah. 36 years ago? But uh, as far as, there, there's not a difference in terms of rewatchability for between 74 and 84 for me. Right. Even though I was alive for one year and I wasn't for the other. Right. Because a lot of the ones from 84, you've got an emotional attachment to. Well, well, I would say I have emotional attachment to the, the only difference would be the ones in 74 I saw on VHS. Right. I didn't see in a theater. So that, that would be the only difference, which is negligible to me. Mm -hmm. Like I saw them. So I saw them. Right. Um, there, there have been very few times where I've been in a theater and I looked up at the screen because I've been to so many fucking movies in my life where I just took a pause and said, wow. Temple of Doom was one of those films. Sure. Where in the opening, when Kate Capshaw comes out of the dragon and there's fog and there's Chinese girls dancing all around, I just said, it, it is, it's, pretty, wow. it's pretty damn impressive. Now, if I look back to 1974, even on videotape, I can't say that there's a moment in any of these films that rivals that. I mean, even really? in even in The Godfather Part Two, which is the montage, which is filled with fantastic moments. Yeah, amazing imagery. Uh, I've seen The Godfather Two on the big screen uh, when they re-released it. Luke and I saw it last year or the year before, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel the same way as I did watching Temple of Doom. That's how old were you in '84? Nine. Hmm. Now I remember Kate Capshaw and all that, and I remember going, "Yeah, yeah." It's like, yeah, I'm kind of turned on. I was thirteen. Right. But it, it's a, in a sense, it's a shame that she married Spielberg because she probably would have had like this. You know, she she chose not to to limit yeah, she, her her outfit right, after she, their marriage. Yeah, I mean, I th I think she would have been a fantastic actress in the, in throughout the nineties. I mean, I I, I think instead that, of doing bullshit legal dramas with Sean Connery about the death penalty, just my take. Suck it, Trebek. <laughs> I, I I I I get your point, but I think that there's something missing. There is a big difference between watching a movie. On the big screen than on VHS. For sure. For sure. So I do think that, you know, if you were to take a poll of, using air quotes, film scholars now. Yeah. There's not going to be near as many in 84 that are in Oh, well, evaluated. look, like, you know, any film scholar you ask, Ali Furied's The Soul is going to eat the shit out of Against All Odds. Right, right, right. But let's you just know. take something that's not, you know, like that. Right. But... Daisy Miller over Repo Man? Sure. 
Murder on the Orient Express over Karate Kid, Police Academy, sure. Footloose. Sure. I mean, Romancing the Stone is really entertaining. It really is. But, I don't know. I see your point. I see I mean, your point. For, for mass popular entertainment, Romancing the Stone is really, really, really good. Right? Is it better than Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein? Kind of its parallels from just broad popular entertainment. I don't know if it's better or not, but I don't think it'll be as remembered. I mean, Romancing the Stone is, like I said, really entertaining, but it's, to a certain degree, a Indiana Jones knockoff. I think Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters... And Temple of Doom, or Terminator, those three, Mm -hmm. will be more remembered than everything on our 1974 list except one. Which one's that? Godfather Part 2. In Chinatown? I think Chinatown is fading, man. Uh... In the popular memory, I think it's fading. Like, I hate to say that. Maybe. You might, you you very well might be right. But, uh, and to me, I don't think that makes particularly a lot of sense. Well, I don't know if it makes sense or not. Well, but. just because of what it says about uh, corruption in our society and our tolerances yeah. for for underhanded bullshit. You know, I think I would like to I would like to think that Chinatown is always going to have relevance. And it always will to some people. Right. 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 But but uh, it's so hard to say because things are so fractured now, right? That with YouTube and all the streaming services, etc. Yeah. I, it's really hard for me, you know, when it was Channel 13, ABC 9 at the movies. Yeah. Different, obviously. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I Luke and I watched it a few months ago, mm-hmm. and, I mean, Luke was just aghast. But you're out was absolutely floored, right? Right. But my – I just don't – who's going to keep watching it? Who's going to choose that over Ghostbusters? That over Terminator? And and that's and that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, you're right. I mean, I I understand your point, and I'm going back to like a mythical film school type of thing. Sure. Well, but I mean, if we're, we're talking, we're not talking about that. We're talking if, about if we're talking about Criterion releases. Seventy four is going to win every time. Well, sure, but also from you know, if you did a poll of your current successful film directors, yeah, you know. Well, so here we are during a, a pandemic, and they're doing a lot of re-releases. You know what was in the theaters last month? Police Academy. That Karate doesn't mean Kid. it's good. Gremlins. It's probably a cheap rental for the theater. <laughs> oh, that's certainly true. 16 Candles. Luke went to go see it. I mean... I, I mean, I, I like them quite a bit. Nothing. I, nothing from 74 has hit the screen. Nothing in the last eight months. I don't know if that matters. I don't know if I'd use that as an act as a reasonable barometer of what's I th- important. They're they're re-releasing uh, movies this month that are important to horror. Mm-hmm. Luke went to go see The Shining yesterday. Right. He went to go see Psycho uh, Friday night. We went to go see Akira on Wednesday. He's going to go see Ghost. Is Chainsaw Massacre going to be shown? It is okay. That that's that is on the list. The Exorcist is is on the thirtieth and the thirty first. That's uh, he did that after French Connection. I think it's seventy three. 
So you're, I, you're, I, I just think that 84 is a power year. I, man, I, I think you're wrong because <laughs> you, I look at the years that bracket it and 94 and 74 in my mind are okay. So let's go to substantially 90, better. Should we take a pause? Let's go to 90. Back? Let's go to 94. Okay. 94, the highest grossing film, which I think I, I know this surprised me, but I mean the lion King, it, it does make some sense. And, retrospect that was huge it yeah it shouldn't shock us but when we think about wow highest grossing film i was thinking like forrest gump true right. lies right but no i mean i think it makes a lot of sense and that's a movie that's gonna be around forever unfortunately so yeah unfortunately really yeah i'm not a big lion king fan okay but i understand that's just for a personal right, reason like right. i understand why it's popular right uh the other movies the mask speed the flintstones dumb and dumber Four weddings and a funeral. Well, those, that you can't just run past those unless you. I mean, speed is entertaining, but not. It's exceptional. Speed is exceptional, especially that's Jan de Bond's yeah. only good film. Twister, I enjoy, but you're probably right. I'm uh, right. Flintstones is okay. Let's not. Dumb and Dumber. Uh, it doesn't work for me. I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan, especially that type. Four weddings and a funeral has got a lot of charm. It's smart. It's it's, it's smart. It's, it's got a lot of charm. Interview with a vampire. Sucks. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Clear and present danger. It, I never understood the lure of Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, Ryan yeah, he doesn't work. He, he just doesn't. It was a great book. Yeah. Reality <laughs> Bites, shot here in Houston. Hudsucker Proxy, Well, which we both okay. adore. So Reality Bites is going to be a movie that appeals almost exclusively to us. Right. Right, in right. our age group especially. But Hudsucker Proxy, I think, really isn't underappreciated Cullen brother. Yeah, I mean, I really great. think that's that's great. The yeah. Ref is personally entertaining, but not awesome. Backbeat, I know, is definitely got a special place in your heart. Sure, but, I mean, that was an indie film then. Right. So, I, I expect, and not everybody's a Beatle fan, so I get it. And as we go on, mm -hmm. they're less and less relevant. Absolutely. Uh, the the Crow, Crow. Big with the goth crowd. It's got a banging soundtrack. <laughs> It's got a and the soundtrack is awesome. Wolf is Wolf. just embarrassing. Well, I mean, especially you look at it, you got Mike Nichols and you got Pfeiffer and you got Nicholson and you got Spader and it's like it should be great. Should be. And it's not. Yeah. Wyatt Earp is not it's no tombstone. Western epic. Yeah. Loved like, Killing Zoe. Another nineteen ninety three movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't qualify. What about NBK? Okay, so that's the one that we should probably circle back to. Okay. Because right here you're going into a row of three that are undeniably hugely influential. Okay. And I would argue more influential than anything that was in 84. You mean NBK, Shawshank, and no, Pulp Fiction? No, I mean Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, and Clerks. Clerks, okay. I think those are much more influential for the subsequent decade than anything in 84. Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, and Clerks. Yeah. I mean, each one of them is a... Not Stargate or Legends of the Fall. Huh? <laughs> okay, so let me, let, let me go back to 84. Sure. Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom. I think or Terminator. I don't... You could replace, you could I, replace I Temple of Doom with Terminator. I don't know if any of them are more influential for the following 10 or 15 or even 20 years than that threesome. Than Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, and Clerks. Right. I mean, I think that you can definitely make an argument that Clerks is the least of those six, right? Sure, sure. But that was probably as 
inspiring to budding filmmakers is almost anything. And, well, and actors, you right. know, you have a lot of actors say, I wouldn't be what I would be doing today if it weren't for clerks. Right, which is a... they never saw themselves, like people like Seth Rogen never saw a place for themselves right. until I mean, they it, saw it's clerks. It's so amatourish, but yeah. it works. Right. Well, you had a lot of amateurs that said, oh, I can right. do that. Exactly. And Pulp yeah. Fiction, obvious. Yeah, that's next level up. I mean, and then Shawshank is, in my personal pantheon, it's, you know, half a step down. Yeah. But, I mean, it's as beloved as anything. It's very well beloved. And it's deservingly yeah. so. It really is a remarkably good movie. It's the only one of those three that's a rewatchable. On, on the podcast? Yeah. But that's only a matter of time, right? I mean, but, I would. I mean, I I, if if I had my choice, that would definitely be the number two that I would throw in on a random Thursday, right? Yeah, it'd be Pulp Fiction well, then Shawshank. Out of those three, the one that I've seen the most is Clerks, closely followed by Pulp Fiction. Right. You know. Uh. But I mean, but so, I mean, all of those with Ghost Ghostbusters. Like I've, I've seen Ghostbusters probably more times than any other film, except for Star Wars and Back to the Future. But Ghostbusters is very much a 1984 movie. Right? Yes, yeah. I don't think Shawshank or Pulp Fiction are very much a 94 movie. I think that those are going to be able to be viewed almost in 20 years time. from now. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're timeless. You know, Shawshank especially. You know, I've obviously got a certain bias towards Pulp Fiction. But I think it would be tough to find a more influential movie. I mean, I do. Since the 70s. Like Pulp Fiction. I, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being kids and everybody being excited about Ghostbusters, excited by Beverly mm-hmm. Hills Cop. But you were as kids. Right. As adults. I mean, I particularly remember Train Spotting. Like, mm-hmm. I remember going to college, going, "Have you seen Train Spotting? Have you right. seen Train Spotting? Have you seen Train? Mm-hmm. You need to see Train Spotting. It's going to, it's going to fucking asking you. everybody, right? Right. And Pulp Fiction was very much in like, man, I saw Pulp Fiction last weekend, but there was a buzz about it. Unlike Train Spotting, there was a buzz about right. it. It was it like really, six months before it came out. It, yeah, it won the Palme d'Or. Yeah, and it was definitely in the public consciousness as this thing, and then it came out, and it was, and it, holy it crap, lived, it's a thing. Yeah, it, it, it's shockingly surprised everybody it mm-hmm. lived up to the hype yeah and even now probably would i mean stargate roland emmerich yeah okay never mind legend of the fall yeah no thanks stargate might be roland emmerich's only good film <laughs> i i like yeah, i can't Star- argue that stargate it, you it know? probably is his only objectively good movie now there's a whole batch here that i had also found in 94 that interested me from one capacity or another None of which are as important as any of the ones we talked about. Okay. So we have Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh. Which is a very interesting and probably to a percent of the population. Very important film. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You have your Woody Allen entry, Bullets Over Broadway. Take it or leave it, but whatever. It's it's Woody Allen. Yeah. Woody Allen is not well remembered, but if Woody Allen... I think it depends. Didn't have such a stigma attached to him, right? The stigma you know, goes and it far. matters. Yeah, but it's it also does. one of those that just from the product, you know, most it's, people, it's, it matters. Most people go with crimes and misdemeanors. Well, absolutely. Yeah, but Chunking Express. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Crumb, which I've not seen. But, yeah, I haven't seen that one, but yet. I know of it, yeah. and it's you know big. Um, Ed Wood, which in my opinion is by far and away the best Tim Burton movie. Oh, wow. Nothing's even close, in my opinion. Wow. Okay. Um, Hoop Dreams, another critically important documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Last Seduction, which I enjoy quite a bit. Is it important? No, but I really do enjoy it. Yeah. 
Um, Little Little Women, the Winona Ryder Christian Bale one. Yeah, that one's out then. Well, again, Winona Ryder and exactly, and that's going to appeal to us <laughs> right. in specific. Yeah. Madness of King George, another good one. Yeah, The Postman, which I never saw with Kevin Costner. No, Il Postino. Il Postino. Oh, yeah. oh. Um, okay. One that okay. I'm amazed you didn't have on your list was Leon. Oh, Leon was '94. Yeah. Um, quiz, yeah, I'm I'm amazed I missed that. And yeah, quiz show. Oh, I mean, I didn't take it or leave it, but it yeah. was a well-regarded movie at the time. It was in two of the three colors, white and red. Came out that same mm-hmm. year. Okay, and blue was '93. So they were at least that close together. Yeah, they were like basically. I think they were shot essentially concurrently, at the same time. Yeah, and then you circle back to Natural Born Killers. Okay, which I have not seen in probably. 20 years and I'd like to see it again because right now I wonder how compelling it is when you take it up against the internet age because something tells right. me it could be either a absolutely terrible or an incredibly good match and probably just what the amount of booze or THC you have in your system is at the time. I think it would do incredibly well, particularly with uh, how Robert Downey Jr.'s mm-hmm. turned oh, everything around last, but just the, 12 years you know, the psychotic cutting yeah the different film stocks the you know you bring the anime into it it's just yeah the satire with rodney dangerfield I don't, I don't even know if it's a good movie or not right i don't know if i really enjoy it but it's definitely a movie i've thought about more over the past you know 30 years than a lot of the other ones reality bites yeah i mean i really enjoy reality i certainly enjoy reality bites more there's, than Born killers there's no reason to think about backbeat unless you're a beatles fan i think that's probably unfortunately accurate or the crow unless you're a brandon lee fan right and if true lies wasn't in video release hell who knows where that would be you know oh i don't know i it's, think there's a lot to recommend true oh lies. i no no i I, th- I agree it's not on blu-ray though it's not hmm that's a fucking crime. I'm not even sure what its availability is on streaming services. Who can I watch it? I don't, know how, I don't remember how we watch it. It's probably on the Amazon, but I know it's not on Blu-ray. So Cameron seems to have really pushed it out of his consciousness for whatever reason. Why is that? Well, it's I think the it's same the, with David Fincher in the game. Well, I mean, I think, I wonder with Cameron if it's the portrayal of the terrorists. Oh. Right? And I think that's completely absurd because it's not like they're saying, in my opinion, that all Muslims are like this or all Middle Easterners are like this. Right. It's like these are the bad guys. They happen to have brown skin, but they're the bad guys. Yeah, that's like uh, Wanted Dead or Alive with Gene Simmons and Yeah, it's just Rutger one of those where it's like... He's just the bad guy. If we're it's looking for anti-terrorist, if we're looking to get worked up, okay, fine. But that's never the way... I, I didn't walk away from it saying, yeah, let's make sure we go blow up, you know... Right. Someone from Saudi. That's never been the way I've looked at it. Right. But I do think that Natural Born Killers is not remembered as well. But I do think it's one of those that I could easily see in 10 years somebody writing the essay about it or five years. You know, so that's one that I find very interesting to see how that goes. But Pulp Fiction, Shawshank. You know, th- Lion King, even Forrest Gump. I mean, the biggest problem that Forrest Gump has is that it won the Oscar. Right. If it didn't win the Oscar, it'd probably be... You'd be looking at it differently. Yeah. 
And it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's not Shawshank or Pulp Fiction. And one of those two those won. Those three are pretty strong. Um, and like I said, the only Tim Burton movie that I thought was worth a shit. Well, I mean... Because that matters. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to write like a blog on Tim Burton. Yeah, talk about a guy who just... I look at it and say, yeah, it should work for me. It just doesn't. Um, so I think that from the popular entertainment standpoint... Well, it's it's almost unfair. Like, Pulp Fiction hit with like a Casablanca-type right. crater. Well, let's take those great ones out, right? Let's take just your most... If you remove mediocre... Pulp Fiction... It would be like removing The Godfather Part 2. Or... Right. And if you pull out, you know, Shawshank, that means that... No, I don't think that you have to. You know, I... You I mean, know, Shawshank, here, NBK. Here's, here's, here's What's your one. third one? Here's four just 1984, generally popular, unimportant, but entertaining movies, right? You have Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, and Footloose. That's yeah. just four. And let's find their analogs in 94. You know, so popular, general entertainment. Well, Forrest Gump, True Lies, The Mask, Speed. Right, or Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Four, Four Weddings. Weddings was huge. A lot of people want to go see Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, I mean, not good, but. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I kind of, you know, like I said, I kind of look at 74 and 94, the two brackets, a pretty good step up over 84. I may be off base. I may be biased. I'm definitely biased, but you know, now look at some of these other ones that are just, there's probably not any, I mean, 74 was hugely influential, right? Yes. Chinatown, Godfather yes. 2, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't see a whole lot in 84. That's the level of influence as 74 and certainly not of 94. I mean, cause you have hoop dreams, you've got, the Queen of the Desert, you've got Pulp Fiction, even Natural Born Killers is probably more influential than I think of it, because if you look at a lot of the YouTube clips, it's like, eh, I can see where... And, you know, Oliver Stone's editing style was right. greatly copied. I I understand what you're seeing now. A lot of these, Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom, a lot of those look like mid-career yeah. films or end-of-the-career films. When it comes to things like Once Upon a Time in America, Last Starfighter, they never made movies again. No. Did John Milius make anything of Red Dawn? No. Not direct. So I, I see that point of view. I mean, they're fine movies, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so should we twenty two thousand and four? Yeah, let's let's move on to that. Uh, the highest grossing one was Shrek two. <laughs> so here's 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 the thing that stood out to me. Uh huh. Okay, Shrek two, Harry Potter three, Spider Man two, Ocean's twelve. Ocean's twelve. You know, I uh, the Punisher, mm -hmm. uh, Hellboy. Yeah, you start seeing some. Things that pre that you know that are we're we're getting into the IP age, right? Right, which is 
problematic. Yeah. Passion of the Christ. That's IP. <laughs> Incredibles. Uh, the day after tomorrow. Yeah, it's um, kind of the beginning of the now. Right, right. Uh, meet the Fockers. Troy. Uh, Shark Tale, which was a glorious failure. <laughs> uh, the Aviator. Which Sidewall. Is, sideways. Uh, the Aviator is quite good. I love The Aviator. Uh, Miracle. and I like that one. Yes. Fahrenheit 9-11 won the Palm Door. Whatever. Um, Dawn of the Dead. Which Eternal got... Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Uh, go ahead. No, I was about to say Dawn of the Dead. I remember the uh, opening sequence and credits. And that, I thought, was tremendous. All the yeah. rest of it was, eh, didn't do much for me. Jersey Girl, which gets a bad rap. It does. Lady Killers. Hellboy. Right. Shaun of the Dead. Yes, okay. That was a big one. Um, Man on Fire. Very good movie. 13 going on 30. Never seen it. Very, very popular comedy. Yes, it was. Napoleon Dynamite, which that was the indie hit of this year. I've never seen that. You haven't seen it? I've never seen that. (laughs) You you need to make time. I believe you, but I've never seen that. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, I think of that batch, for the most part, you have Million Dollar Baby. Okay, that was an interesting... That was the winner that year. That was the winner. You know, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay, that's, you know, okay, that's fine. That's almost an Empire-type movie for Harry Potter, right? Incredibles is incredible. Passion of the Christ is undeniably important for the time. You know, that was the that was the highest-earning independent film ever. Ever, yeah. It was... Ever! It did huge. Aviator, you know, is probably going to be... It's never going to be remembered as one of Scorsese's best, but I rather like it. Ocean's well, 12, I find, of not, yeah. not that great. Shaun of the Dead, you know, huge. If it's not a debut for Edgar Wright, it's certainly where he entered our of our consciousness. I mean, the the standouts for me mm-hmm. are Shaun of the Dead, yes, and where is it? The Aviator. Yeah. Well, there's also the batch that. All right, so here are some of the others that I missed. Yeah, before okay. sunset. Okay. Oh. Okay, pretty good. Okay. Pretty darn good. Born Supremacy. Okay. Um, okay, there's a movie called Downfall, which I've not seen. Love but that film. Uh, but I have a note here. It says, right up Jeff's alley. Oh, I love that film. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hotel Rwanda. You know, Kill Bill Volume 2. Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Great, great movie. Yeah, it was really entertaining. Saw, which is another hugely influential movie. Uh, Collateral. Probably the last Michael Mann movie I really enjoyed that I can think of. Okay. Anchorman. I know you and I are going to have a conflict on that one, but Anchorman is undeniably huge. I, w- I wouldn't say undeniably. No, it definitely is. It. Look at all the people that came out of it. Look at the scope that Will Ferrell had for the next seven years. I think it's undeniably huge. Well, um, you may I not mean, like it. I mean, that's the apex mountain argument for mm-hmm. Will Ferrell. That's yeah. That's fine. I, mean, I just there there are very few things I like about that. <laughs> yeah, I understand why. I'm Roger Ebert. Like I understand mm-hmm. why people like it. Right. I, I just it doesn't appeal to me. I got you. But it is, I think, undeniably influential and huge. Oh yeah. It's kind of absolutely like, kind of like The Hangover, right? Yeah. I didn't really like it, but it's undeniably huge and yeah. influential. Um, oh, me- for sure. Yeah, people are talking about uh, man purses forever. Yeah, Mean Girls. That's a surprise influence. But it is one of those where I think there's certainly an age group that's younger than us that looks at that well, very fondly. It's like fondly. clueless. Yeah. You know. But I think they look at that very fondly. 
layer cake, which I just kind of dug. Yeah, I like layer cake. I mean, that got Daniel Craig the James Bond role. Right. Polar Express. Okay. You know. This is Zemeckis. It was Zemeckis and, you know, Tom Hanks. And, but it's mm-hmm. a Christmas standard at this point. Yeah, it is. Uh, Steven Spielberg, lesser effort, The Terminal. Yeah, that was done well, but it, it didn't appeal to me. Yeah, it just doesn't fly for most. And my own terribly guilty personal pleasure is Godzilla Final Wars, which is just bananas. It's the most ridiculous movie ever, and I love it. It is stupid. Unabashedly stupid, but I love it. <laughs> so I think that you have Before Sunset, Kill Bill Volume 2. Um, oh, and Crash. Not the Cronenberg one. The... Uh... The, the Oscar winner. Yeah, the Oscar winner. So it must have come out. That was, well, that won Best Picture that Yeah, year, but it must have won it for 2005. Maybe. But I saw it on a list of 2004. Was it one of those where okay. it came out in a Possibly. film festival? Yeah. But 2004, sure that's the case. for the most part, is kind of unremarkable, you know? I'm, I'm really amazed at, I had said previously about that first decade, mm-hmm. they had a lot of hits. Right. And I was really amazed to pull this list. And, I mean, I've seen every single thing on here except for Lady Killers. Right. Which they say is not good, but I've not seen anything. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, when I think of good movies, I don't think of any of these. Not very many of them. I mean, again, yep. The Aviator and... Shaun of the Dead. And it's it's not like they're bad. Like, I really enjoyed The Punisher, the one Tom Jane. But it's not good. You know, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say, like, that's going to stand next to... Oh, God, no. Uh, NBK, Killing Zoe, Shawshank, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. No, Burks. Yeah. No. Right. I mean, I'm really fond of 13 going on 30, but as complete nostalgia. Because yeah. I was, I mean, I was uh, 34 when 13 going on 30 came out. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I was kind of living through that right. mode of what she was going through. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So. Yeah, I mean, that and, you know, Kill Bill Volume 2. Steve Zuzu. I mean, those, yeah. those are... Steve Zuzu was good. You don't like Kill Bill Kill... 1 too? I like Kill Bill 2. Right. That's fine. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm a Tarantino fan. Right. Um, Tarantino, I would put in that group with the with the Aviator. And, yeah. You know, and, and Wes Anderson. But, you know, if you're going to put it next to NBK, Shawshank, Pulp Fiction... Yeah, it's certainly not at that no. level. Yeah, it's certainly not at that level. It's, so it's, it's a huge, like, slope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of a shockingly mediocre year. It it is, and then then you turn the page and you go to 2014, which is pretty interesting. And it's like Transformers movie, Hobbit movie, mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, Maleficent, Maleficent, Hunger Games, an X Men movie, Captain America movie, Planet of the Apes movie. Spider-Man 2. Amazing Spider-Man movie. Give Christopher Nolan. Jack Ryan movie. A remake of Robocop. Yeah. Grand Budapest, though. Uh, great. Great film. Uh, uh, well, and not to say that those movies are bad. I, I rather no. enjoyed Captain yeah. America and Winter Soldier. Uh, I didn't, we They're differ not really on, breaking new ground, though. No. No. Robocop is not. It was different than the first one, but it's but not breaking new ground. It was a big bunch of why does this exist? Yeah. I liked Noah. I liked Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, I think, is really good. I like most of these films. Yeah. Million Ways to Die in the West, The Imitation Game, Box what Trolls. What the fuck is Box Trolls? 
That's a, it's an it's a animated film for I've kids. I've never heard of that. That's a great film. Okay, you should, you should see that. I've never even my though life your heard kids are grown, you you should see that. Okay, it's a great movie. All right, uh, the Equalizer, John Wick, John American Wick, okay, American Sniper, Exodus, Gods mm-hmm. and Kings, and now the interesting oh. thing is that whole batch of 2014 movies is for the most part I'm kind of blah, you know? Yeah. Now, but, but I would say that the the non IP movies mm-hmm. to me, uh, Grand Budapest, uh, Noah, Edge of Tomorrow, um, John Wick, those are more interesting, interesting films to me than they are the the IP movies. Transformers, Hobbit, Guardians, yeah. Hunger Games. I mean, the... I like Days of Future Past. I think that's a great X Men movie. Mm-hmm. But that, that's just it's retread. Right. I I would rather watch, you know. You would like to have, of the mass entertainment, you'd like to have one or two of those on here instead of seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. Now, there are some really interesting 2014 movies. That I missed. That you missed. And there's actually a pretty, whether you like them or not, there's some admittedly pretty interesting ones in here. Okay. So you have Boyhood. Oh, okay. Gone Girl. Okay. um, Inherent Vice. That's a Paul Thomas Anderson. Into the Woods, which I know of, but I never saw. So Rob Marshall, it was a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a musical. Yeah, I was in Robin that musical Hood. in high school. Yeah. The Lego Movie. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Hugh Jerner. Selma, eh, whatever. But it was definitely big. Selma was huge, yeah. Yeah. Theory of Everything, I've heard of, but not seen. Yeah. Unbroken. Great story. I don't like the movie all that much. Oh, my God. I thought it was an amazing movie. Yeah. yeah. But the, the story is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Whiplash. Okay. Ex Machina. Okay. Which is really pretty good. Fury. Chef, which is a personal favorite. I love Fury. Yeah. Need Chef, to, I need to see Chef. Yeah, that's that's a personal yeah. favorite. Um, Nightcrawler, which I like quite a bit. Okay. Very weird. Yeah. Um, Kevin Smith's Tusk, which I've not seen. I assume you've oh, seen yeah, it. I've seen Tusk. Right. <laughs> what We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. Sarah loves is, that. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Uh, Monuments Men, which I understand should have been good, but I never saw. Yeah, that should have been good. It was one of those yeah. that it looks I like didn't, sh- I didn't mind it. I didn't see it. Yeah. I uh, read the book. It was good. Kingsman? I, I mean, it was... It's pretty stylish and entertaining. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's probably the best Bond movie for me in quite a while. <laughs> and The Interview, which I find a, an incredibly interesting document. Wait. That's the Seth Rogen, James Franco. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And everything that was associated with it, with North Korea, you know, going into the Sony emails or, you know, and all that. Yeah. So I think that that batch of 2014 stuff is, is, from a broad standpoint, much more interesting than a lot of the other stuff. Well, that's one of those things where you you watch something, you get into it, and you're you're unfamiliar with everything around it. Mm -hmm. Like uh, High Noon being uh, absolutely targeted. Because of the the number of admitted communists who worked on it, right? So, what were they trying to say with High Noon, and what were they trying to, you know? And they were just trying to tell a good they story. Were trying to do a good story. Yeah, it's like hmm. there wasn't anything else to it, probably. Yeah. So, but I mean, on the own, I hadn't seen Birdman, but I've seen pretty much everything else. And, yeah. And um, but for the most part, it's pretty unamazing. It's just like two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I think 2004 definitely had a couple things. Well, the Aviator. But you see kind of a step down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's not a whole lot. I mean, but there are there are some ones that will probably be recognized later, right? 
Whiplash, Ex Machina, you know, what we do in the shadows. I think Gone Girl, you know, a couple, I mean, those first three are like, oh, that's the beginning of a really important I guess, artist. I guess I got to see Gone Girl again because I just. What? Oh, I didn't realize that your lack of response was due to ambivalence as opposed to just an acknowledgement that it's a great movie. I'm not willing to admit that David Fincher has not made a good film. Oh, he's made at least one bad one. I think that his quote-unquote one bad film uh-huh. is better than most people's No, it's a bad movie. Films. No, it's a bad movie. It's bad. Okay. It's bad. I was I was not a fan of Gone Girl. Really? And I think it's just the story. Really? I don't really like the story. What did what what was the problem with the story? Uh well every nitpick that Bill Simmons brought up in mm-hmm. the rewatchables that was, bothered you while was, watching it? It was readily apparent to me while I was watching. Hmm. I didn't have to think about it after the fact to think, you know, this really didn't make sense. No, it was very apparent to me while I was watching it that no, this this is complete bullshit. The thing, the thing that got re, got me really about Gone Girl was um, the author, Jillian um, Flynn. I think. Right, I think that's right. She did the screenplay. Yeah, I believe that's correct. And that's that's obscenely not obscene is the wrong word. That's very strange, very mm-hmm. out of place for the for the author of the book to do a screenplay. Doesn't happen well. all that often. Does not. I mean, um, but didn't Arthur Clarke do two thousand one? Uh, he did with Kubrick. Right. Um, it happens, on, it, but it's uncommon. It happens. It's extremely uncommon for adaptations for mm. the original author. So, so I acknowledge the fact that she put forward that effort and and did such a quote unquote amazing job. I mm-hmm. just I didn't I didn't like the story. And like a lot of things, you can have the best director in the world and the best actors in the world, but if you don't like the story, then I you, guess I need to watch it again because I certainly didn't find it flawless. But I certainly found it compelling for the entire two and a half hours. Even as I sat next to my wife and we kind of looked at each other side-eyed a couple times going, are you the same person I think you are? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it had moments in it that, I mean, I want to completely deconstruct it now. Sure. But, and and there, there are, are a few things that uh, sound childish mm-hmm. or piggish. That I say, like, okay, well, you know, Rosamund Pike is wearing her underwear while having sex with Neil Patrick Harris, who's completely nude. Right. So, I mean, there, there are some things like that that are don't make sense and are distracting. That that doesn't mean that the film itself is 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 bad. I just mean that the direction of the tale and and um, it's it's not that she's not punished at the end. That's that's not what it is. There's I don't know. Of, if it, I don't know if she's punished or not. I think she I, gets away with it. She well, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of people don't like the film because she gets away with it. That's not why I don't right. like okay. it. It's I primarily it's it's because he just chooses to stay. Like that that utterly befuddles me that he chooses to stay. Uh, I need to watch it again, but I don't find it that out of reality. You know, I mean, he, how many people? Or in abusive relationships that don't leave. That would make more sense if Isn't he, if that like Fincher, the epitome of an if Fincher ep- emphasized more of that at the time. That that would make more that would make more sense to me. I don't I, I don't understand. think that that she was a 
abusing him, at least not physically. What? It's she's an emotional terrorist. She is. Uh, yes. I did not see that affecting him. Well, I saw him trying to get the fuck away from her. Right. As much as possible. And that, that made completely mm-hmm. sense, right? But someone saying, I'm, I'm going to hold your unborn child hostage over you to make you stay with me so that my name would be cleared. Like, fuck you, bitch. I'll turn you in, and that child will be born in jail, and they'll give it to me the day after. After dealing with this diabolical psychopath. I don't know. I'd kind of take her at her word. She's pretty scary. She is scary, and she belongs in jail. Why Why would you want to spend the next 20-plus years with this person? I I, that, that makes no sense Maybe to there's me. a sequel where he tries to kill her. And probably fails. Yeah. Yeah, she's got his goose cooked. I mean, she's and, and pretty I was, clever. I was expecting it to move into like a De Palma type of dress to kill mm-hmm. type of direction, and it didn't. And and I don't I don't mean to to say that like during the film I was expecting that, right. but after the fact in it retrospect. was like well, why well why didn't it move more in, in that that would have made sense. Well, I tell you what, we'll both rewatch it, and then we'll circle back. You can we can have a out of you know, mm-hmm. canon conversation on that movie okay. in specific. Okay. So we're both unimpressed with 2014. Well, I'm more impressed with 2014 than I am in t- than 2004. Okay. So, so. Especially for some of those that. So the year that stands out to you, 94 and 74. Yes. Big time. Which one wins 94 or 74? Because it's, it's Shawshank. Pulp Fiction, just ignore that. Oh, okay. For me, it's 94, but with my age and experiences, that would make sense. Okay. I mean, but I think it's tough to argue with 74 going back. Okay. Well, I, I'm willing to to call 74 through 94 almost like a new golden age of cinema. Sure. That makes sense. Um, with this decade between 64 and 74 being quite, I mean, dis- despite the fact that 68 was a huge year, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it seems like the auteurs were really in full throw there and it was exciting to see what they were doing. And it, it does seem like the corporations have finally taken the reins back over. Um, I don't know if, since 2000, just judging by yeah, 2004. But we're dealing with the, um, I think that to a certain degree you're right, but you're only talking about the really big time popular entertainment, right? I think some of the ones that are under the radar are still pretty darn interesting. You know, the Lego movie was definitely this huge. It was enormous. Enormous. But it's pretty subversive, right? And it's definitely the introduction of a. Uh, of a talent that I guess I don't particularly like all that much, but I recognize like, Oh, they're really pretty good. And I could see them being successful. You know, I think that some of those nightcrawler ex machina, what we do in the shadows, even Matthew Vaughn with Kingsman, you know, you have a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which I know you're not a huge fan of, but he is indisputably important. Yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. So I think that there's those things that are outside of that top 20, if you will. And then when you have Grand Budapest and 
you know, even Clint's American Sniper that are just interesting enough. But I, I get your point. I don't – it'll be interesting to see. And then also the other thing is with 2014, we're only looking at the theatrical films, right? So when did Netflix, Amazon – When did they start? When did they start really out? churning out those movies that would normally be – a mass release in 94. I mean, yeah, I'd say 2015 on. Probably about right, right. You know, it's, you know, I know that the Mank is coming out sometime in November that or something fucking like that. people are talking about that now being the yeah. greatest <clears throat> movie So what did you think year. of the trailer? I didn't see the trailer. I don't yeah. want to see the trailer. Yeah, I saw the trailer. I was, if I hadn't have known what it is, I don't know how interested I'd be in seeing it. Well, that doesn't surprise me about any adventure. No, film. exactly. So yeah. it's one of those that'll be really, I, I, I'm certainly looking forward to it, although it's unclear to me when it's coming out. Yeah, uh, well, December. Is it December? Yeah. December, November. Well, they want it. <clears throat> so it's the big kicker because the 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 deadline for uh, the Academy Awards is December 31st. But only for theatrical release? What are they going to nominate? There's nothing. Well, uh, the big picture has a whole list of, I mean, they, they had a podcast two weeks ago. Yeah, about I haven't everything's listened to that. Work. Yeah, I'm running but, behind. But the Netflix, Netflix apparently is going to release Mank and the Egyptian for like a week and then it'll qualify. To qualify? Yeah. And they did that, and they got a. They have another theater in New York. I think it's called the Apollo. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing too. They grabbed an ancient one from the twenties and redid the it. Apollo? It's only one screen. It's not the Apollo in Harlem. Oh, okay. It's, <laughs> it's like somewhere else in in Manhattan. And they did the same thing. It's got new neon lights and a new mm-hmm. screen and everything. And they retooled the. And then they were planning to do the same thing, but they had to shut it down because of the virus, because of the laws in. New York. In New York. Now, the same, same thing is happening in Los Angeles. They're just planning between now and the deadline to release it for a week. Hmm. But theoretically, all I have to do is have one showing to sell tickets and it qualifies. Really? Yeah. According to the Academy rules. Okay. Yeah. For this year in specific? For any year. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Which which is what Netflix wanted wanted to do. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that ends the... The decades conversation. Yes, we ground away for a good couple hours My on that. My God. Okay. So I don't want to make this any longer, but I've, I've got... Well, at this point, does it matter? <laughs> i got three points I want to cover. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, is going to be very difficult for you to get through. Okay. And I'm just going to have to ask you to go back in time at least two weeks. Oh, okay. And tell me, it's been... It's been two weeks uh-huh. since you saw Tenet. Yes. I read your review. Uh-huh. I thought it was very poignant. Okay. On Letterboxd. Has anything changed? No. No, not a thing. Not a thing at all. I mean, I need to see it again. And that's kind of where I walked away with that review is I would need to see it again to have a really good opinion that I'd want to stand behind. Because there's part of me that wants to say, that was just bullshit. Right? <laughs> There is. There's a part of me that's like, this is just bullshit. And it's the same problem I've got with some of his other stuff. It's like, we're going through all these gymnastics for really no benefit, right? It, but I don't know if that's right, right? Which is why I'm willing to hold back and say, yeah, I need to see it again. I think that there were some things that I had in that review, which I think are still consistent. Because we saw it in a big screen yeah. with the right volume and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that the design for the sound was really good from, you know, directions and loudness and separation and all that. But the, what I have to admit, purposeful decision to make 
what I had estimated at 25% of the dialogue unintelligible. I thought it was absurd, right? I do think that there were some things that were edited out or, like I said, never filmed to kind of enhance audience confusion. But it is one of those that I'll, I'll be honest, maybe I missed something. That's definitely possible. I won't dismiss that, which is why I won't sit there and say it's bullshit. Um, I really think that maybe I'm just a simpleton that the stakes of the movie, that we're dealing with end of world type shit, right? And they say that, and I don't know if you necessarily need to have, have it beaten over your head like a flash forward, such as from the Terminator as to what the possible future could be, but you know, it would help. That's effective, right? Because to a certain degree, it's kind of this exceptionally abstract threat, you know. So I would ne- I would need to see it again to really be able to definitively go. Okay, that was really a pretty fascinating exercise, and I really enjoyed it. Or uh, that was bullshit. So I, I don't really know. I mean, I haven't thought about it a whole lot because it won't do me any good. <laughs> you know, I haven't watched any YouTube videos. Which I'm sure they have them that go on for three hours, right? I'd really like to see it a second time before I started going down that hole. Did you like anything about it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that I liked about it. You know, I thought that some of the performances were pretty good. Uh, I thought Kenneth Branagh, he's a really interesting cat in that sometimes he's really pretty good and stuff. And sometimes he's really pretty crappy. But in this one, I think he fell into the really pretty good. I thought that the stunt work, unshockingly and pretty you know, simply was really well done. Um, I thought that Robert Pattinson was, he was pretty good. You know, he was pretty good. I thought that, um, John David Washington, is that? Yeah. 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 I think he was, uh, by design, pretty unremarkable. Oh, you know, by design, by design, you know, his name is the protagonist. Nolan wanted him to be, he didn't have a whole lot of, you know, charisma. I, I didn't find. Um, definitely a, a good protagonist, but at the same time, kind of. Mm, I mean, I think that Amanda Dobbins, I did hear that big picture. And yeah, they had some badass suits in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, people were dressed really well. Yeah. I thought that. Um, I thought the dialogue was really witty. I thought it was, yeah. Particularly I, I, with Michael Caine. Yeah, but Michael Caine. Brooks you know, Brothers isn't going to do yeah, it. And that, that whole, I'm on a budget. That whole sequence was really quite good. So I, I, I do want to see it again before I really rip into I haven't, it. Well, I don't want to really rip into it. I really don't. Because, like I said in the in the uh, the review is, I know my opinion doesn't matter at all. But it's one of those where I'm really glad he's, even if I hated Christopher Nolan and thought that he just produced garbage. I'd be very happy he exists, right? It's kind of like you're gonna not you're you're not gonna like this, but what I find find appealing about Michael Bay is that he is very much a singular artist. You know, nobody does shit like Michael Bay does. That's, that's true. And that's true. I really appreciate it when you have these people that are really themselves, right? They're not copying from anybody. They're doing their own lunacy. No two ways about it. And Christopher Nolan has been skilled enough and lucky enough that he's able to really chart his own course. 
So what we're talking about with like the 2014 popular movies where, you know, the more things that are, even if I don't like them, if they're different, I'm all in favor of, you know, that's cool. I, so I think that it's really, I'm really glad he made it. I hope he keeps making stuff like that. The spoilers, the mm-hmm. movement backwards through time, mm-hmm. as far as experiencing time, probably different than any other movie yes. I've ever seen about time travel. That was quite clever. And I have okay. thought about that more than anything. Right. On the mechanics of that. And, yeah, I thought that was really probably a it's, – it's a really interesting conceptual way to do it that's much more satisfying than a lot of the paradoxical shit that you just can't get away from in other time travel things. Being able to reverse the object as opposed to the – yeah, I thought that was all pretty cool. So I'd like to – like I said, I'd like to say, see it again. Yeah. Now, yeah. you've seen it, what, four times, I've right? seen it four times. So – Yeah, and there's a lot of things like when you're, when you're rewatching sequences and you keep that in mind of – Sure. I'm watching the movie linearly. Right. But time being what it is, this object is experiencing it backwards. Right. So you, if you if you think about the sequence, whatever the sequence is, with that in mind, mm-hmm. things make more sense. Yes. Like, it, it finally, when you and I went to go see it, I think it was my fourth time, the finale, mm-hmm. where the dead body comes up and then runs backwards up the, right. up the ramp. The first time, the first three times I saw that, I was like, what the fuck is going on? I still don't understand this. And then finally, the fourth time, it, it clicked what was going on. Dan, I got that. Well, I think that's going to be different for every, for every person, and, and, for every sequence. Or how about this? I got something, right? Yeah. Which may not mean that I'll get it the same way the second time or third time or fourth time. I don't know right. if I'll watch it four or five times. I might. Yeah. But I, I definitely need to see it a second time. Well, I mean, there are flaws in it. Like when he goes outside for the first time and he puts his foot in a puddle. Uh-huh. I mean, that's obviously shot in reverse and played forward. Well, so that's not a mistake, though. It's it's not a mistake. It just looks it looks odd. Right. It looks uh, out of place. It looks mm-hmm. awkward. And yeah, I mean, I would definitely because there are things that I recognize that don't work in my brain, which I suspect that if I saw it again, I'd like it more the second time. Yeah. Such as the entire opening sequence. In the opera house. Yeah. I mean, there's things with that, with my memory, I'm looking at it going, I don't, I, there's problems. Which means that, okay, that was so early in the movie that I'm only remembering images. Yeah. Right? So that's one of those things I need to see it a second time, for okay. sure. I mean, like I said, it's, I'm glad he made it. I'm glad they released it in theaters. Pretty cool. Yeah. To see a movie in, like, theaters. I would want to see that in a... In a... The first time, yeah, or I mean, I, I mean, I need to see it in a big screen. It's going to be a real problem seeing it in anything smaller than like what you have here. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a real problem. You can't watch that on a thirty-six inch TV. I I imagine that would kill the film. Yeah, like, I, I, I have no interest in seeing it like that. Yeah, and it's I it's can like see, um, I know why he pushed so hard for it to be released in theaters. Yeah, if you watch that on your phone, oh fuck that. People um, will. More uh, people will watch on their phone. Last week, a week before, Luke and I went. I mean, we had that like last Friday night. Two Fridays ago. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Uh, we went through, like, I put in a disc, Dr. Zhivago. He wanted to see an epic. Right. It was a three-day weekend. It was, yeah, it was uh, whatever it was last weekend, Labor Columbus Day weekend, Day. Columbus Day. Yeah, I had Monday off. So he's like, great, let's let's start watching epics. Mm-hmm. And even though I couldn't get the, the, the huge screen going, right. um, there were a few that I was willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. on the much – smaller only 100 inch <laughs> uh screen that i have so on the projector so uh i put in dr zhivago and that disc flaked out which yeah. pissed me off because i bummer. yeah bought that on amazon and so then i we put in a uh, passage to india mm-hmm. on laser disc right well it's cropped oh is it it's like 
it's about i mean you see like a third is it a four by three they did it's a four by three oh yeah that's ridiculous of a 70 millimeter like fuck that frisbee that yeah so uh we took that out then we uh, i put in a third one i don't remember what it was and and that one didn't work and and so then uh, it's very disappointing yeah, it was really disappointing. Then I put in the fourth one. It was high noon. So we watched okay. high noon. And then he fell asleep before the finale because by then it was like fucking midnight or something. Right. So it was really disappointing. But regardless of that, um, I have no interest. Like, I'll put up with seeing Tenet on the TV in my bedroom, which is about 65 inches. That's big. And I'm really close. Mm-hmm. But I won't I won't do that on any other No, it's not going to work. No. It's going to be a problem. Okay, your letterboxed account. Oh, yeah, I'm really way behind your. Way behind me. Yeah, you've got, like, what, 514 things on your uh, diary? But I watch a lot of movies. Don't you, though? Yeah, I mean, I just. I'm not, that's not a criticism. Yeah, I mean, it's just something, you know. Yeah. Um, Luke is still. Uh, he's. he's he, Luke is 16. Yeah. And. And he's interested in watching movies he, with his old man. That's right. Great. And so that's that's what we do together. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think we've seen four or five this week. We watch four or five every week. And if it's a three day weekend and the girls are in Galveston, it's like back it's to like back to back three a move three a day. Yes, yeah. quite a few. It's crazy, and uh, we love it. But uh, Moneyball, you saw Moneyball? Yeah, I enjoyed that. I'd never seen that before. Really? Yeah, no, I just hadn't. Um, it wasn't. I think it just got released on Netflix. And uh, I loved it. Yeah, until recently, I think that was the only service I had. Aaron Sorkin. Oh, did he write that? Yeah. I guess that makes sense, but I, I there was no opening credits, of course. So And I, he just wrote uh, The Trial of Chicago 7, which came out this weekend on Netflix. Netflix yeah, I haven't I seen that. it yet. But I haven't either. I saw the TV movies they, they made in mm-hmm. uh, the back HBO in the movies. Yeah, back yeah, in the 80s. That. And I, yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, but no, I, I really enjoyed Moneyball. That was, I kept hearing about how good it was, and I believed it. It's just one of those I never really had a good opportunity to see. So I'm not a huge baseball guy, yeah. But it's just it's not really it's it's about different ways of thinking more than it is about really even baseball or about the game instead of the game. Right. It's about how to play the game. It's it's just yeah, it was really quite good. And Brad Pitt eats a lot. (laughs) It's it's that, and uh, apparently Mm -hmm. I, I don't know this to be the case. I'm just repeating something somebody told me. But Ty Cobb wrote a book about baseball in the forties Okay, when he was retired and older and pissed off and driving around. He was always pissed off. He was an asshole. Yeah. He was a complete dick, but, but uh, damn good ball player. Apparently if uh, his, his book was about how to play baseball and um, it was very closely aligned with what Bill James. Okay. So it was all math and 30 years later and Cobb's point was you're thinking about the game the wrong way. Right. I believe that. And it was more closely aligned with what Bill James was saying. It was almost like Ty Cobb had a theory and Bill James proved him right. Right. It would be the difference of sayings like Einstein and Hawking, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed it, though. Yeah. I really – and I love the soundtrack. And then we followed it up with uh, The Disaster Artist. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Well, I had neither. It was a first for me as well. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But the thing that was really funny was I was watching it with my daughter, Regan. And she had heard of The Room. So we're watching this movie. And she's getting progressively more and more confused while watching this movie. 
because she's like, well, I know it's based on the, you know, it's based on the making of this movie, The Room. And she's like, but I don't get it because like Brie Larson and all that. And I was like, oh no, there's two movies called The Room. Called The Room, yeah. Yeah. She's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah. It's like, but what about this one? Is this, I mean, the other one isn't real, right? Yeah. It's like, oh no, this guy actually made this movie. So when then we get to the end credit. Have you seen it? You haven't seen it. No. So at the end credit, they show sequences of Tommy Wiseau's The, the Room. Oh, The Room, right? Yeah. And it's shown, that's on the left side. On the right side are the recreations. Yeah. And it's like they're dead on. Oh, wow. And she's just baffled by the whole thing. It's like, wait, this is a real movie? I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's supposedly quite the thing. I've never seen it. Yeah. But, yeah. Neither so, have I, but it was good. It's the, Yeah, The Disaster Artist is worth seeing. I suspect The Room is probably worth seeing as well. But we've not had near enough to drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi, Mock. Or what? Oh, hi, Mock. I did not hit her. I did not. You don't. You don't know what I'm talking about? No. Really? Yeah. Really. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Like, I did not hit her. No. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. What's that from? The room. The room? No, I didn't see the room. I know, but it's such a. Okay. No. Okay, well... It has not... That has not permeated the popular culture to the point where I got something out of it. Okay, that's really... Okay, okay. We'll keep going then. Okay. Father of the Bride. The old Spencer Tracy one. Yeah. Yeah. I I liked it. You know, I'm a dad with a 22-year-old daughter who isn't married yet, but I I liked it a lot. I mean, I I have a certain soft spot for old movies. So do I. So it's one of those where, and since I'm a dad and... All that it's it's charming. I I don't know. I think the Steve Martin version is actually probably better. You know, I think it probably objectively is, but I'd never seen the uh, Spencer Tracy version, which is my feeling. But it also has Elizabeth Taylor, who is also hi. Yeah, you see what she's you, something. You, you get it. Yeah, when you see because I mean when I was you know old enough to know Elizabeth Taylor by sight, I was like, well, she's the one who's selling white diamonds. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Hangs out with uh, Jacko. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I get that. Um, Luke and I went on like a Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I saw that. You guys watched a lot of them. Yeah. High Sierra and Passage African to Marseille Queen. and the African Queen. And um, I got to say, John Huston is is really, really an effective director. Like mm-hmm. if, if you had given the African, African Queen to anybody else, I don't think I would have. Watched it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember it being all that great you know or at least when i was a kid and i watched it was walking again eh, it didn't do much yeah, i don't i don't think it was all that great but i think that um if anyone else directed it i wouldn't have given a shit about it oh you should show him uh white hunter black heart oh the one with michael douglas and val kilmer no 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 the or one clint eastwood the, clint eastwood and yeah this is michael douglas i think yeah and that's about john houston during the filming of that movie does clint eastwood play john houston mm-hmm. They don't call him John Houston, oh. but, he's, but he's he's John Houston. Okay. I just don't, I don't think they call him John Houston. Well, apparently he went on safaris while they were mm-hmm. shooting. That. Yeah. So you see, yeah. Have you you've seen it or no? No. Oh yeah, watch that. You probably dig it quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, it's really it's pretty good. Yeah, I've I've heard of the concept. And I remember it was coming out, and I was I wasn't very um, just wasn't taken with it. Yeah. Wasn't one of those that you were saying, oh, writing that one down. Yeah. But no, you've been yeah, been watching a lot of the Bogart movies. We saw that and and. Uh, well, we had like a, I had a laser disc set of four Bogart movies. Yeah, I saw you. It was like, wow, he's, so, next thing you know, he's listening to A-Tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luke really digs Bogart. It's his favorite actor. Oh, okay. And, and I saw, uh, God, High Sierra, Passion of Marseille, 
African queen. There's two more. Treasure of Sierra Madre? No. No? No. Um, doesn't, doesn't matter. They Live by Night? No. Um, Casablanca? Well, we watched, uh, <laughs> we watched a documentary on Casablanca that uh, was narrated by uh, his wife, Lauren Bacall. Okay. Which was pretty good. And, sure. Oh, uh, Key Largo. Oh, I was about to say, yeah. We, we, we watched Key Largo. So, <laughs> it was... You, you know... You know that there is an element of star power that transcends the ages. Lauren Bacall is in the background, mm-hmm. like a hundred feet away or something. She approaches the camera and comes into focus. Okay. And Luke instantly says, "Who is that?" <laughs> I said, "That is Lauren Bacall." He's, He's like, says, "We should watch more oh, of her stuff." Humphrey Bogart's wife, because he knew. Okay. And I said, yeah, that's that's her. And he's like, oh, okay, now I get it. I get it, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. So you saw the African Queen. Yeah. Key Largo. Hi, uh, hi, Petrified hi. Forest. Petrified Forest. That that was not a snore, but I, I could have done without it. Across the Pacific. He really enjoyed that. Okay. Uh, Bogart plays like a guy who's kicked out of the army. Right. Uh, but really, he's playing double agent. Gotcha. And falls in league with uh, Sydney Greenstreet, who's working for the Japs. Okay. I'm sorry. Japanese. You can call them the Japs. <laughs> and then they get down to uh, the Panama Canal, and things go awry. And and uh, the funny thing is they never actually go across the Pacific. It's just, one, that's it's just, just the name. Just the name of the film. Hmm. So that was pretty good. And then, of course, I mentioned we, we saw... Uh, uh, Akira, Total mm-hmm. Recall. But your opinion on Total Recall is shocking. It's a good fucking movie. You, Paul, can, you can think that. I know that. Trends. Outland, though Outland yeah. I haven't thought about in forever. Yeah, uh, I was... So did you watch that because you watched High Noon? No, no. I, we saw we saw High Noon, and then I think it was like two nights later, and and, and we, we went to Half Price Books and mm-hmm. saw them. I'm like, dude, you got to see this. He was like, Connery in a sci-fi? Oh, yeah. yeah. With a shotgun? People exploding? Like, it's gross. Yeah. So, no, he really, really, he loved that more than High Noon. Yeah, I think it's yeah. it's it's kind of underappreciated. I mean, it's, Peter Himes is He's a very good. unappreciated yeah. filmmaker. I mean, I kind of yeah. like 2010. I love 2010. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, but when I was a kid, I just... Or Roy I kind of like the Bob relic. Balaban, Yakov Shmirnov. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, we watched Akira the other night, um, and thirty second anniversary, or whatever it is. Right. And it, what a bloody, bloody film! Yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Oh God, there was so much blood in that film; it was unreal. So, okay, wrapping up. Okay. We should create categories, kind of like they have on rewatchables. Okay. Just, just to sort of form some sort of process to what we do. That's probably reasonable. And I've I've created one. Okay. That I, I've stolen from Canada Land, which is another podcast I listen to, which is uh, duly noted. Okay. Duly noted has nothing to do with at all with what you're talking about. You just want to duly note something. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to duly note is um, Luke went to go see uh, Psycho Friday night, had 20 minutes of extra footage. And he said it didn't need it. What do you mean? In- integrated into the film? Yes. 
It was uh, him cleaning the murder scene. Norman, I've never heard of this. I believe Norman, you. Yeah. I just yeah, Norman Bates cleaning the murder scene for about ten minutes with really tense music. Uh huh. And then at the end, um, a very Hollywood ending with two doctors explaining Norman's well, that's, problem. That's always been in there. No. Not not for not for ten minutes. Oh, I don't know. And it apparently does not end on the shot of him in the chair yeah with the skull yeah really yeah so what is this i mean it's a recut issue of psycho but who did it and why i don't know okay so then he went to go see the shining yesterday with a friend you didn't go i didn't go i thought you were gonna go i was gonna go but he wanted to take a friend okay and the shining is i mean i like it but right in terms of my kubrick movies uh, I'd rather see the one. Yeah, you weren't yeah. you weren't upset that you didn't go. Right. He said that had another twenty minutes in it. Um. One of him talking to the bartender for a very long period of time, and uh, then more of him running around freaking out at the end. And he said it, he said he didn't need that either. Are you sure these are extended things or just things I know, that he I, I checked it. I checked it on Cinemark's website, and it says with, with additional footage. Really? Okay. Yes. Huh. So. How did they pull that off? You can't get Eyes Wide Shut released with the extended version. How can you just roll out with well, that? Well, I'm with you there because I would like to see an extended version of Eyes Wide Shut yeah. because I just don't think it's fucking long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being facetious. I was about to say you were joking. I, 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 I would be interested. But it is one of those where I, I see that clamored for fairly regularly. Right. And I'm not sure if I have any use for that or not, but I'd be interested in. I don't remember anybody saying, you know what it's missing at a psycho? Another 10 minutes. No, I don't remember that at all. You know, or, or fucking, or, uh, where was I? The Shining? Where the Shining for that matter. It's like, and, more and, maze time. I mean, if you added 10 more minutes to Barry Lyndon, I think I'd fucking hang myself. Oh yeah, that's way Oh long. my God. But that's 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 interesting. I'm I'm just surprised that, I mean, my perception is probably inaccurate, but it's always been like Kubrick had such a stranglehold on everything that they couldn't. But well, apparently, that I'm was not, my that was yeah. my thesis as well. That's the, what I was operating. Unless on. it's one of those. No, I think there is. A, I guess it's a television version where they had longer stuff to make up for stuff they didn't have in I, it. I don't. I don't. And they just integrated footage. I don't know I about. That I, I, don't I mean, I know they made a television version with Steven Weber that apparently was much closer to the, the right. But the no, book I'm talking was. about uh, that, that's probably worth some research because I think I'd heard and I am probably wrong that there was a television version of The Shining which had additional footage to make up time for the stuff they would have had to cut, right? And I don't know if that's right, but I, some doesn't have read that or heard that, which could be my well, they did that for a number of yeah. It's, it's not unusual. Yeah, it's, it's happened. One one of the films I did on on the Super Seventy podcast called Head Office. It's on HBO Max. If mm -hmm. you ever get a chance, they made a TV TV version of that, and I saw it on TV, and it had ten extra minutes in it. Right, and and it wasn't ten in total. It was like thirty seconds here, right? A minute and it's a half just ten there. minutes longer in general, right? Yeah, and and there were scenes that I'd never seen before. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe it. I've seen this movie so many times. I've never seen this shot. Regardless, so duly noted. Not through yet. Oh, sorry. So The Exorcist is coming out with new material on Halloween. This now, is the one that they released a few years ago with this, the this, right. crab walk and all that right. stuff. Yeah, it's it's that footage cut in, released for Halloween. 
I've seen that footage. Mm-hmm. It's probably should have not doesn't need it. Yeah, more is better. What's going on? It's just an easy way to generate interest. You know, I mean, these are things that have got a built-in audience, and maybe you'll encourage them to come back again if there's something new and different. I mean, I don't know if this is. I mean, how many times have they re-released different videos on the DVDs? And now with bonus footage or extra cuts or I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to reconcile. Like, you know, if if it's low cost, right? It's an existing property. Yes. If one more version of Apocalypse Now comes out, it's pretty amazing. I'm going to get violent. Like (laughs) there's for, for years and years and years. There was one version of Apocalypse Now. And it was fine. I, I bought a bootleg work print off the web. Just because. Just because. I sat through it, which I don't think I'll ever do again. And out of all of that footage, most of which it was just fascinating to see what he had shot. Right. Didn't was, help the story. Didn't help the story at all. I still would not change anything in the original film except mm-hmm. the the one scene of Willard in the tiger cages yeah and brando's walking around in daylight Mm -hmm. and they're talking about morality and uh talking about um you know you've seen all this before captain and and willard says well i'm not like like willard's almost like close to tears Mm -hmm. and he's like nothing like this i haven't seen anything like this but we know that's not true right because we've seen willard on the boat kill all those innocent people Mm mm-hmm uh, but, but even to Willard, so is Willard lying to himself or is, is willing Willard really not recognizing that he has seen that type of murder before? And what does Kurtz think about Willard's reaction to that? Mm-hmm. And Kurtz thinks that he's lying outwardly he says, you've seen all this before. Captain. And he says, you, you remind me of my colleagues in Washington, those master liars. You know, mm-hmm. they, they think that we're moral and they insist that we're not cruel and we're not slaughtering these people. And yet they order us to do that and they insist that we're not. And the entire um, conflict uh, of the war and of uh, American society and, and of uh, our morality as humans uh, is all caught in that one scene. It's almost... It's almost like I, I can't believe that scene was cut. I, right. It it's like encapsulates that entire experience for me. That's the only time I would ever say that I needed to go back in. That would have improved. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, it's too bad that I was cut. But having said that, if I could lose that scene and not have anything else Added to it, Add you'd be fine. It, I'd be fine. Yeah. Fine. What, what would you like to duly note? Is there anything you'd like to duly note? At this point, no, because I wasn't expecting this, so I hadn't put any thought into it at all. I duly note that it has been a good time, and we've been doing this for quite a while. Two hours and 38 minutes, my friend. That's quite a while, and my ears hurt, <laughs> so I think it's time for me to shut it down. Thanks for coming over again. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for fixing my screen. You're welcome. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. I'm going to put the cranberries on. You enjoy. It's going to be awesome. All right, man. All right. Oh.